I was just going to say, if you were to get uh, shot in the dark with a poison, what would you like? What would you prefer the effect to be? Would you want to get like knocked out? Would you want to hallucinate? Would you want to? Oh, I'd want to hallucinate. Absolutely. Yeah. I have never had a hallucination that I've enjoyed. Oh. Um, so I could I could use the sleep. Let's be honest. Oh, <laughs> a solid eight hours. Is that is rest. that what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Sure. I mean I'll, I kind of want to go with your answer now. <laughs> I was gonna say like I feel like I want to dip my toe in like DMT or something. I mean like I don't know if I want to go rifling around in there to be honest. I don't know if I want to go opening those files. I don't know. I don't want to uncover that. Let me just tell you, if it lasts more than four hours, you need to go see a doctor. Sure. Okay. Listen to me, I'll tell you to tough it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the worst therapist ever. Oh man. It's a mimic, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Terry, and this episode is called Weapons, Damage, and Poisons, A Healthy Dose of Hurt. We're mixing it up a little bit now in our conversation on classes, because at the time of this recording, we've covered literally every subclass in official 5th edition publications. You can find these episodes, as well as our other class episodes, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we've built there. As more books are released, we'll continue to tackle the new subclass options, but for now, we want to pivot for just a minute and talk about something that everybody thinks about during character creation, but no one really shines a spotlight on when it comes to podcasts. This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast is going to address the thing that power gamers love, that min-maxers crave, and that new players have a surprising amount of difficulty wrapping their brains around, and that's damage. In a game as combat-oriented as D&D, damage should be one of the main aspects for players and dungeon masters alike to focus on manipulating. But does everyone understand the rules? Are there enough different kinds of damage? And how can a better understanding help your games moving forward? But before we get started, Megan and Terry, mechanics aside, do you have a favorite like kind of damage type thematically? Like fire, cold, poison? Hmm. Quite like piercing damage. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like you've tricked them in a way. Like if you get that rapier kind of... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like that has happened. So yeah, it feels sneaky. Uh, I like bludgeoning damage. Sure, it's like, of you course. Know, caving in someone's head, or like you know, breaking a rib cage. The exact or... opposite of the sneaky paw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a, I'm gonna, I can murder you, and I will. <laughs> and, and and I will with my brute strength, absolutely. Um, so let's jump into it. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is weapons. So this is going to be mostly monologue. So sorry. Block a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> So, uh, the most obvious way to do damage to an object or creature is to wield a weapon. In fantasy role-playing games, there's a long tradition of an ancestral, magical, or legendary weapon that a hero wields against the villains. In Megan's case, it gets broken and then stolen and then given to another player. Called the fuck out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've Uh, never done this trope ever. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, In the past, Dungeons & Dragons has leaned into this trope pretty hard with a great variety of weapons and what they can do to enemies. But, in 5th edition, we've been given the short end of the staff. When compared to previous editions and the main competitor, Pathfinder, the options for weapons are fairly lackluster. There is a decent list in the player's handbook, but I think we can skip right to the point here, pun intended, and see which of them can be discarded and why some mundane weapons are better than others. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to set aside the magic weapons and focus entirely on the kinds that do 
non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Also, for this episode, improvised weapons and things like the monk's unarmed strike aren't going to be a part of this conversation. So, there are four basic categories. Simple melee, simple ranged, martial melee, and martial ranged. 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 Let's uh, look at the melee options first, starting with simple weapons. These are the weapons that don't necessarily take a lot of skill to craft or wield. I like to think of them as the weapons that the mob of angry villagers produce to go storm the castle. Um, now, that is a generality, but that's kind of the general theme with the simple weapons. So, starting off with bludgeoning, I crunched the fucking numbers on this, and there are uh, a whole bunch of creatures that are resistant, immune, and vulnerable. 234 of the well over 1,000 are uh, resistant to bludgeoning, um, to non-magical bludgeoning. Yeah. Um, 83 are immune, and 16 are vulnerable, but they're mostly skeletons. So if you see skeletons, it's time to bust out your bludgeoning weapons. Break it. Yeah. Yeah. So first we get the club. It does 1d4 damage, which is underwhelming, and it's light. And that means that when it's light, it allows you to uh, have an offhand weapon. Right? Um, otherwise, you can hold a shield or just have a free hand. And, guys, I can't stress this enough. That free hand means fucking everything in D&D and nobody thinks about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, next is a mace, which does 1d6, uh, which allows a shield or a free hand, but it doesn't have the light property. So, unlike a club, you can't wield another weapon in the other hand. You do get a light hammer as well as another option. Again, it's a d4, so same amount of damage as the club, not as much as the mace. It's light, but it's also thrown, which means you can throw it up to 20 feet away or up to 60 feet with disadvantage. So right now, the light hammer is better than a club. Unless you want to do more damage, it would be better than a mace as well. It's far more versatile. Um, so that makes the club the first of our redundant and useless weapons so far. There are a few. Uh, you get the great club, which does 1d8 and is two-handed, and that's exactly what it sounds like. You need two hands to wield it. Um, for 1d8 and two-handed, that's an awfully steep penalty, um, because you're really not doing a whole shit ton of damage with that. And you don't get to wear a shield, or hold a torch, or open a door, or anything, right? Uh, you do have the option as well for bludgeoning for having a quarterstaff, which is a 1d6, and it's versatile, which means that it can be wielded with one hand or two. If it's one-handed, does 1d6 damage, and if it's two-handed, does 1d8. So you can carry a quarterstaff that allows you to wear a shield or hold a spellcasting focus or have a free hand. Um, or you can just put down one of those options or grab the staff with the other hand and suddenly you're doing 1d8. So this is a pretty solid option for a lot of people. And then there are unarmed hits which uh, do one damage. Just one. You don't even roll a die for this. You, you just do one. Um, but that means that you can have a shield or a spellcasting focus or a free hand um, and remember, this does not have the light property, so you can't just do this as an offhand attack, right? It needs to be two light weapons. So you, unless you're a monk, you can't hit with a club and then an elbow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. I've uh, tried it many times. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, and Adam's like, no, Megan. Those <laughs> bastards down at Wizards. <laughs> um, so this looks at first glance. Like the standard unarmed strikes are the second redundant and useless weapon, but having a free hand does allow for all sorts of hijinks, uh, especially if you have two free hands. That's great for things like grappling and whatnot as well. So that brings us to uh, slashing damage. Now, there are 232 resistant creatures, 91 that are immune, and only one that's vulnerable. 
And it's actually from uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, uh, and it's the Jabberwock. And even then, you have to use the Vorpal Sword to do it. So other than that, there's nothing that's vulnerable to slashing damage, which feels weird. It does feel weird. I don't, I don't You'd think the plants, right? Yeah. Like, if you're doing slashing damage with an axe, then you should... Anyways, that's... It does feel like, odd, uh, right? Yeah, I do feel like if, if you gave slashing damage and made most things vulnerable to it, everything would be vulnerable to it. Anything right. that's fleshy and soft. Yeah. 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 So it's like opening a window and a door that they don't want to open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the past, there have definitely been monsters in previous editions that have been vulnerable to slashing, but very few of them. Yeah. So uh, let's take a look. There are not a whole lot of options, uh, actually. There are the sickle, 1d4, uh, and it is a light weapon, which, again, um, allows you to wield a shield, use an offhand weapon, or have a free hand. And then there's the hand axe, which what does 1d6 is also light, so it does another die size higher, is light, and it has a thrown property. So that makes the sickle not only redundant, but an absolutely poor choice. Uh, it does less damage and has fewer utilities. So. But how badass does it look? It looks pretty badass, especially if you have a sickle in one hand and a light hammer in the other. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no? All right. Keep, well, we're moving on. Yeah, no. move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then there's piercing uh, damage, which has 252 resistant creatures. That is by far the largest. Um, uh, 82 that are immune and three that are vulnerable. Um, and all the vulnerabilities are Rakshasas. Uh, and it only counts if they're wielded by good aligned creatures. So that gets a little funky. you got to start asking your players now, what's your alignment when they get into combat with a Rakshasa? And how many right. people actually remember that shit when they get to it? Yeah, right? So... Yeah. Um, now, there are a few options on this, and there's some decent uh, versatility here. Uh, one of them is the dagger, which, is, I mean, everybody should pick up a dagger. It's 1d4. It's finesse, which means you can use your dex or strength. It's light, which means you can use it as an offhand weapon. And you can throw it either 20 feet or 60 feet with disadvantage. So, uh, the ability to use dex instead of strength give daggers a special place for rogues, rangers, and monks. And every single class is proficient with daggers, even wizards. So I had a magic dagger once that I threw, and it landed into a creature, and then Megan knocked that creature into rushing water, and it flew away with my dagger in it. Bye-bye! <laughs> <laughs> Megan, you and magical weapons do not... You don't have a good track. No, I, I fucking love that dagger as well, as I recall. Lose all magical weapons. <laughs> um, then there's the javelin, which is a 1d6 uh, that's thrown, and has a range of 30 feet or 120 uh, with disadvantage, so that's essentially double the disadvantage range that a dagger has. This allows you to wield a shield with javelins. Um, it Also, you get that throwing, which is neat. I do like the idea of having a quiver full of javelins on one hand and just carrying a shield around. It's really gladiator to me. Right, so. yeah. I used Love javelins it. a lot when I was a paladin. Yeah. Like, a lot, a lot near the end. Yeah. <laughs> they became very useful. <laughs> and they've got a really cool, like, image to them as well. Like, I always like handing out lightning javelins because in my head you always look like Zeus. True, true. Right? So, um, there are uh, spears as well. They are not the spear that a lot of people think about that are, like, eight feet long and with a big the blade on the end of it. No, these are just 1d6 thrown. They're just, like, a little bit bigger than a javelin. Um, and they've got a range of uh, 20 feet or 60 with disadvantage, but it's versatile. So that's 1d8 uh, if you use it with two hands. Javelins have the best range, but spears are versatile, and daggers can be used by anybody. So uh, pick your poison. There's a use case for every kind of piercing simple weapon. 
Ultimately, bludgeoning is the most useful weapon damage type, especially at low levels when you're likely to fight skeletons, but it shouldn't be a huge deal over the course of a campaign. So what about the marshals? Well, first of all, they're more expensive, which means you probably don't get access to many at low levels. Second of all, they're a lot more restricted about who can use them. In theory, these are the weapons that require training to use. In theory. That's the overall general theme. So there's bludgeoning, and you get a flail, a warhammer, and a maul. For a flail, you do 1d8 damage, um, and it is, has no light property, so you get to wield a shield or just have a free hand. A warhammer does 1d8, but is versatile, so it also allows you to do 1d10 if you wield it two-handed. So right there, that's better than the flail, so we can ignore the flail. That's fucking useless. Short of, of thematic purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get the maul, which is 2d6. It is heavy, and it is two-handed. And heavy just means that small creatures have disadvantage to wield it. So, I like them all. I think it's really cool. And especially when you're fighting skeletons, because you get to just smush, smash them to bits. But uh, I, I, I don't. I never see anybody no. use a warhammer or a maul. maul? Right. right. By the time that you get into the into the martial kind of characters, you're thinking swords and blades and, and rapiers and stuff. I've seen warhammer a few times. So I've never seen somebody do maul. Uh, I tried to wield a warhammer uh, with my um, with my cleric way back in the day. Vargas. Yeah, uh, and it was I was just casting spells more than I was actually in fights. Mm -hmm. But I mean that's that's a life cleric for you, right? Yeah. So um, for slashing, this is where we get the most options here. So you get a battle axe, which is a one d eight, but it's versatile, which is also one d ten. Uh, longsword is 1d8 and versatile, which is 1d10. So the battle axe and the longsword are effectively the same thing. They do the same kind of damage. The only difference is the flavor. Yeah. Everybody has their ancestral sword, and it's disappointing. Get an ancestral battle axe. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, come on, mix it up a little bit. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking directly at you. Targeted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, then there's the scimitar, which does 1d6. So it does less damage than the battle axe or the longsword. Uh, and you don't get to wield it two-handed, but it is finesse and light, which means you can use your decks and you can wield two of them, uh, one in your offhand. This is the only martial weapon so far that's allow you, that allows you to dual wield. You also get a whip, which does slashing damage, which, uh, I guess? Yeah. I, yeah, it makes like, sense, slashing you know, damage. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I, I look at the wound it leaves behind, and sure, but like, let's be honest, it does really, really little bludgeoning damage. <laughs> just a oompa Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, it does 1d4, which is a little underwhelming, but it takes finesse, which means you can use dex as well. And it's got uh, reach, which gives you plus five feet for a melee attack, which is nice, but it's kind of weak, right? So um, also, it's not a light weapon. I would love to have this be your offhand attack. I think people would use it more often. I liked my whip. When I was a rogue. I yeah. feel like you I feel like it got used for things other than attacking people though. Well, no, you use it for seduction mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean who doesn't? <laughs> I mean grappling, I suppose, but it was always good for like the tight hallways as mm -hmm. the rogue, because you were never at the front until you needed to be at the front. And so yeah. you could reach you had the reach. Um it was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. Uh and then we get our kind of longer ones, um, the glaive, the halberd, the and uh they're very similar. So the glaive's 1d10, and so is the halberd. They're both heavy weapons, which means small creatures have disadvantage to use them. Uh, they both have reach, which is plus five for melee attacks, and they're both two-handed. They are, again, effectively the same. Mm -hmm. But then you come into the great axe, 
which is 1d12 and heavy. Uh, it is two-handed as well. And there's the greatsword, which is 2d6, heavy and two-handed. So they look almost the same, the 1d12 versus the 2d6. And this is the difference. A 1d12 will roll crits more often because you have a 1 in 12 chance of doing it. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works with the 2d6. You're rolling on a bell curve. You're going to roll 6s, 7s more often than anything, and 8s. Those are the ones you roll the most because you're hitting the averages. The good news is you will never roll a 1 with 2d6. The bad news is you will almost never roll a crit either. Yeah. Like, or, Sorry, max damage, not, not a crit, but max damage. Which means I don't know over the span of a campaign, depending on how combat heavy it is, which one is preferable. Mm -hmm. um, the, so the Great Axe, the way that it busts out is it will do max damage. One out of 12 times, and the Great Sword will do it one out of every 35. That might not be a big deal until it absolutely fucking is. Right? Yeah. Like, how often is a barbarian swinging an axe? Once, twice a turn, right? Even at high levels. Um, so, maybe. Do you guys have a preference on those before we go any further? Um, no. <laughs> really it's don't. more about flavor than anything else. Yeah, it'd, be, at the math it'd be flavor for me. Yeah, I think between these two, no. I think my biggest struggle just to go with one of these weapons is usually between like the long sword and the great sword that's where i have more struggle in this yeah yeah megan do you have an opinion your swords over axes right yeah i will always pick a sword over an axe i just that's you know sure it just fits better with my personality and my you know the facade i'm trying to to have a sword over an axe yeah sure yeah yeah then you can curse stab if you felt like it see i i, I wish they had the option to do piercing or slashing damage yep. right and I believe in one of the previous editions, swords did. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like in real life, it would be easier to defend with a sword. And so that's probably why I would just yeah. choose even for D&D, &D, even though those mechanics are, do not yeah. apply yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah. But like mentally and like for when you're talking about your battle and what's going on and trying to like narrate what you're doing, it's mm -hmm. easier to narrate what you're doing to the sword than an axe. Yeah. You can only do so many things. I swing it over my head or from the shoulder or groundbreaking. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's piercing weapons and th there were a lot of these. I was surprised. There's a morning star, which does one D eight damage. And uh, that is if, Effectively, like the battle axe and the longsword, except it's not versatile. So, I mean, unless you're married to piercing damage, which remember has the most creatures that are immune to it and resistant. So, uh, then there's the war pick, which does the exact same fucking thing. Um, the rapier, which does the exact same fucking thing again, except it has finesse, which means you can use dexterity to do it. Mm -hmm. um, incidentally, it that is, I believe, the highest amount of damage with a one d eight. Uh, that a finesse weapon allows you to do. So um, the short sword is 1d6. It has finesse and light, which means you can wield two of them. Why doesn't the rapier have light? Again, okay, moving on. Um, yeah, why doesn't the rapier have light? It will be so it's, it's, probably lighter than a short sword, really. I assume that it it's just... Based on the training of how to wield a rapier? Is it, it because... Sit. Nobody would ever use scimitar if the uh, rapier was light because it's more well, damage. Use the scimitar to begin with. <laughs> well, if you want two weapons, I guess you would. But it's like, yeah, you're never going to choose scimitar if you're planning on just using one scimitar. It would always just be two scimitars, <laughs> like the guards off Aladdin. I think they had two. I forget. Uh, but if if you could do that with the rapier, then you would just carry two rapiers, which would be ridiculous. 
so that's what and also badass. So that's what you want for a swashbuckler, right? Sure. I'm uh, I'm confused as to why the short sword is uh, piercing, but the long sword and the great sword are slashing. And I guess yeah. I guess because you would stab from a shorter distance, uh, whereas like a long sword, you, but physically a, how you wield it is different. you swing it like a, almost like a bat or yeah. like an axe, right? But like it's just right. coming from the shoulder. But I mean, with the short sword, isn't that just a machete? Isn't that slashing? Uh, well, we well, how did Romans? Well? How did the Romans use their short swords? Theirs was stabbing. Yeah, they, it was stabbing. Stab but, but those weren't short swords; those were glaives. Uh, no, gladiuses. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So they had, a, they had the double blade on them. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, and this yeah. is this is the kind of weird granular shit that we got in weapons in previous editions that we don't have in fifth edition. No, it's very simple. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the Morning Star and the War Pick are both outshone by the Rapier which allows you to use your dex attack. And the only reason you'd pick a short sword is if you want to sacrifice a little damage for an offhand attack as well. It's essentially a piercing version of the scimitar. But we also get uh, longer weapons when it comes to uh, piercing as well. You get the pike with uh, 1d10, heavy, reach, and two-handed, which means small creatures have disadvantage to wield it, and you have to use two hands to hold it, but you get plus five for melee attacks. This is just like the Glaive and the Halberd, except it does piercing damage. Then you get the Trident, which is 1d6 thrown uh, with a range of 20 feet normally or 60 feet with disadvantage, and Versatile, which is a 1d8. So this is mechanically exactly like the Spear. The only difference is the category it's in, because that was a simple weapon and this is a martial one. So flavor aside, this is fucking redundant. It doesn't do any more damage. Like, there's three prongs, but it doesn't matter, right? Then you get the lance, which is a 1d12 and gives you reach, uh, but it also has a special quality to it as well. Um, You have disadvantage when you use a lance to attack a target within five feet of you. Also, a lance requires two hands to wield when you aren't mounted. I legit don't know why anyone would ever choose a lance except to fit a very specific niche character. Yeah. Right? Like, you're playing a the cavalier fighter. Yeah. And I would... How long is a lance? Like, just anyway. Uh, it's... I don't know, long. Like, 10, ten feet, right? Like Is that coming into it as you're trying to get through this dungeon and you can't get through the doorways unless oh, you hold yeah. it in front of you? Yeah. I'll stealth into this uh, into this room. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a I, massive I, I love the idea of you, like, failing the stealth, too, so all the goblins are watching the point of the lance come in. Like, <laughs> like the beginning of Spaceballs. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. And there's a knight at the end of it. <laughs> so... <laughs> The fucking kobolds are like, is this something new to worship? And, oh, no, there's a dude. No, yeah. there it is. Yeah. Okay. The floating pole. <laughs> looks, like a, looks like a giant. Johnson, back to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when it comes to ranged weapons, I'm going to look at them all at once instead of separating them by simple and martial. Essentially, you get bows, crossbows, and miscellaneous. So let's start with the bows. You get a short bow, which is 1d6 piercing. Uh, it requires ammunition. They... Almost all do. Um, and it has a range of 80 feet normally, or 320 um, with uh, with disadvantage. Of course, it's two-handed, um, and this is considered a simple weapon. The longbow, however, is a martial weapon. It does 1d8 piercing, so that's a die category larger. Um, its range is 150 feet normally, and 600 fucking feet uh, with disadvantage. That is by far the longest range that we get on any kind of weapon. And it outclasses most spells. Uh, It's also heavy and two-handed, which means that uh, small creatures have disadvantage to wield it, 
and you're not wearing a sword with it either. I don't know why the longbow is considered heavy, because it weighs two pounds, according to the fucking player's handbook. Um, when I would it, think it would be an account for the weight that you're pulling when you pull the string. I would think so, but I guess they just didn't want small creatures to use longbows as well, because like well, longbows are actually much bigger than like pop culture would have you believe. They're oh, much yeah. taller, yeah. and it yeah. took and it's a, a lot of pounds. But it's square weight. weights. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. The, the pound, pound, pound square. <laughs> <footage>. <laughs> the pound <laughs> square <laughs> the pound cubic square foot of cubic meters. <laughs> to the inch. And what, anyway. And what's that in Imperial? Yes. I, fucking, <laughs> no, I panicked. I panicked. I panicked. We did it in the metric system in the Battle of Hastings. It was uh, anyway. Stop. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, one thing to keep in mind is that the longbow has the best range, like I said, of any weapon. And that 80-foot range of the short bow might be the difference between aiming with disadvantage or not to hit those pesky enemy spellcasters with the long-range spells. Because 150 feet for a longbow versus an Eldritch Blast or a Firebolt, which have 120 feet, means that you're not rolling with disadvantage, but the short bow is. Um, Also, retreating enemies might need to dash for three turns to get away from a longbow instead of just... And that's something to think about when you're deciding on playing your archer character, which there are very few of in 5th edition. I feel like everybody tries it once and then gives up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Arcane Archer is on my list. Is it? Yeah. Uh, We should sit down and talk about how we can just make a better archer with a fighter. I think so. Yeah, just because how many attacks around do you get? Yeah. That alone outweigh... Anyways, we can talk about that in another episode. We did, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Was I on that one? I don't think you were. No, I don't think I was. Um, So then uh, there's uh, the light crossbow, the hand crossbow, and the heavy crossbow. So the light crossbow does 1d8 piercing. Uh, It's a simple weapon, and it has the loading uh, mechanic on it. Again, it takes ammunition, uh, and it's got a range of 80 to 320. It's the same as the the, uh, short bow, and requires two hands. Um, Because of the time required to load the weapon, you can fire only one piece of ammunition from it when you use an action bonus action, or reaction to fire it, regardless of the number of attacks you can normally make. So suddenly, your level 5 fighter should not be using crossbows. I took crossbow expert with mine. Yeah? Yeah, with Titus. It worked pretty good. Um, There's hand crossbow, which is 1d6 piercing. Um, Its range is 30 to 120 feet as well, the 30 being, you know, uh, normal, 120 with disadvantage. Um, this is light, which means, interestingly, you can wield a shield or a weapon in the other hand, which is fun, but it also has the loading mechanic as well, and it is a martial weapon. So, it has all the same loading nonsense, except that, uh, you get to use it as an offhand attack, which is a load of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, you do downgrade from a 1d, uh, 8 down to a 1d6, uh, but this gets really fucky when you start looking at some of the feats. Like Terry just mentioned, there are a lot of really cool ranged combat feats. And the hand crossbow, as your offhand attack, can get a little disgusting if you've got a DM that likes handing out feats. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which we do, unfortunately. Yes. Um, and then uh, there's the heavy crossbow, which is 1d10 uh, piercing. And this is a range of 100 feet uh, or 400 with disadvantage. Again, it's heavy, which means that small creatures are disadvantage wielding it. And it's got all the rest of the loading and two-handed nonsense. Um, This has more potential damage. And if you're a medium-sized creature that can use martial weapons, this should always be chosen over light crossbows. Just always. If you have access to this, just take it because there's really no downside. 
You also get some of the little weird dinky things that nobody outside of low-level monks like to play with, like darts. Once again, targeted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 1d4 piercing damage. It's uh, finesse, so you can use your decks. It's thrown, so 20 feet or 60 with disadvantage. It's a simple weapon. Uh, allows you to wield a shield. It allows you to throw it. And you get a free hand. But, and it uses you to strength or dex, which is great. But this is the only ranged weapon that allows you to use your strength instead of dexterity. But, like, who gives a shit, right? When compared to other thrown weapons, it does the same damage as the dagger. But daggers aren't limited to being ranged. And having disadvantage on attacking enemies that are within five feet of you. Which is what happens with ranged-only weapons. So if somebody's adjacent to you, you can stab them with the dagger. You can't with a dart. It becomes an improvised weapon or you have disadvantage. I don't understand why it's, you have the option of using strength. like Because you're throwing it like a baseball? I mean, but I feel like... All right. Yeah. And besides, the hand axe does more damage and the light hammer can be used as an offhand weapon. So darts are pointless. Get it? Pointless. All right. Uh, you also get a sling, um, 1d4 bludgeoning. Again, range is 30 with 120 feet, same as a javelin and the hand crossbow. Uh, the only weapon so far that you can really compare a sling to is the hand crossbow, as far as the mechanics go, except that it does less damage and can't be wielded as an offhand attack. So it kind of fucking sucks. Also, horribly like underrepresented as far as the damage goes. Have you guys seen a sling in reality? Yeah. Holy shit. Take your fucking head off. Yeah. Yeah. Like 1D4 is is underselling this. Um and this one isn't strength based, correct? That's right. Like I feel like it should be this one. Right? Yeah, it just that makes more sense to me than a dart to be strength based. Yeah, it makes more sense for me as well. I mean, could we homebrew something here as well and let you fill it with sand and then use it as, like, a cone? Well, and that, that that's the other thing, too. Like, I want to make a slingshot now, and that would be strength-based. Right. And now I'm just coming up with freaking... Useless weapons no one will ever use. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> right? Um, I'll tell you this, though. I mean, if you've got a sling, you should pick up ball bearings, right? Don't rely on rocks. Pick up the bag of, what is it, like, a thousand ball bearings? Yes. Yeah. A, tons of ammunition that you don't have to go pick up again. B... Uh, little weights to hold things down in water and see you can put them like roll them out in the ground and people fucking slip on them and shit. yeah like, what a great time yeah, the, make the, difficult terrain, the so. mundane stuff that are in like the burglars packs and whatever the dungeoneers packs and stuff there's so much good shit in there that nobody ever uses yeah. but it's uh-huh, so a good scroll case yeah no way <laughs> um episode on that as well <laughs> yeah tune in next week when we talk about scroll cases for an hour and a half um, You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, then there's a uh, the blowgun, which does one piercing damage. Its range is 25 feet, uh, and then 100 feet um, uh, with disadvantage. Like I get it, you use it to deliver poison, but it's weird that its range is like 25 and 100. It's the only one that isn't doing the 30 foot shit or the 20 and 6. It's so fucking weird, and I don't know why they include it. And there's it's. There's nothing about poison right next to it in the yeah. book. Like it makes all the math make no sense. Yeah, I just hundred like, feet feels like why twenty five? Even like with an arc. <laughs> the t- 20 f- 25 is now I'm close enough that they're going to charge me and hit me. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a snorkel to me. I'd use this as a snorkel <laughs> with my rogue. That's it. Um then we get uh the net. And this is a fucking weird one. 
So its special uh, property is, I'll get into it in a second, it's thrown and its range is 5 feet or 15 with disadvantage. But let, re let me remind you, if you're attacking a creature less than 5 feet away from you with a ranged weapon, which this is, you have disadvantage. But if you try to attack anything beyond 5 feet with this weapon, you have disadvantage. You never not have disadvantage with a no. net. Surely we can assume that you within 5... You would fucking think so, right? Yeah. It's got to be. So, um, this uh, allows you to wield a shield um, or have a free hand. A larger or smaller creature hit by a net is restrained until it is freed. A net has no other effect on creatures that are formless or creatures that are huge or larger. A creature can use its action to make a DC 10 strength check, freeing itself or another creature within its reach on a success. If you deal 5 slashing damage to the net, which has an AC of 10, that also frees a creature without harming it ending the effect and destroying the net. When you use an action, bonus action, or reaction to attack with a net, you can make only one attack regardless of the number of attacks you can normally make. I rarely see nets outside of tier one because it all the numbers are so fucking low. Can you imagine trying to cut your friend out of a net who's trapped in it? You'd be so annoying. Fuck that roll up. You'd be fucking... <laughs> the only time that like I've level ever... level 17. Oh the only time I've ever seen nets, like, ever... Is Dan trying to be quirky in a one shot and it did not go well, oh. or me with fifteen kobolds, all of them with nets? So your action economy is not enough to keep up with the fifteen nets that just landed on you. Yeah, right? sure. So. I mean, put them on pirate ships and boats and stuff like that. You know, use them as material, yeah. not actually yeah, in a battle I, situation. Just what the fuck? So that's it. You have precious little in the way of big damage and a lot of really basic nonsense. Bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing are all similar enough that it doesn't matter too much, but I wish there was more variety. And surprise, there is. There are a handful of other basic weapons that have been published in books outside of the player's handbook that nobody knows about. Um, first, from Eberron, Rising from the Last War, is the Double-Bladed Scimitar. This is, uh, think about it, um, about the Darth Maul weapon. Mm -hmm. Only it's scimitar blades on both ends. It's slashing, it's two-handed, it does 2d4 slashing. If you attack with a double-bladed scimitar as part of the attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action immediately after to make a melee attack with it. This attack deals 1d4 slashing damage on a hit instead of 2d4. So you do 2d4 on the first and then 1d4 on the second. Just that extra little double tap. Yeah. Um, and then there is, from Out of the Abyss, the Hooked Short Spear. Uh, this is a martial weapon. It has the... Uh, sorry, it does piercing damage and has the light mechanic and it does 1d4 piercing damage. Uh, on a hit with this weapon, the wielder can forego dealing damage and attempt to trip the target instead, in which case the target must succeed on a saving throw or fall prone. The DC is 8 plus the wielder's strength modifier plus a proficiency bonus. I... Give this to the trident. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, make it different than the spear, because it's a martial weapon. It just, it just annoys me. I'm just, fuck. I like this. I like this a lot, and I wish it, there was more cool stuff like this in the base core rules. Yeah. Um, then you get the light repeating crossbow, and it's just exactly like the light crossbow, except there's no loading property, so you can use however many attacks you have on your turn, right? Um, the crossbow is fitted essentially with a cartridge that can hold up to six crossbow bolts. It automatically reloads after firing until the cartridge runs out of ammunition. Uh, reloading takes an action, so if you have two attacks around on round four, you burn your turn reloading. What about if you have crossbow expert? Does that mean you can just infinite ammo, just Tomb Raider style? Yeah. So, yeah. assuming you've got the cartridges, you know, in, yeah. your, in your holster, I guess. Um, your holster. 
This is going to be great for high level fighters, especially with with uh, like four or five attacks, right? So um, from Waterdeep Dragon Heist, we get the oversized longbow. It's like the regular longbow, except it does two d six damage instead of one d eight, and can only be used by medium or larger creatures that have a strength of eighteen or higher. The bow shoots oversized arrows that deal piercing damage uh, equal to two d six plus the wielder's strength modifier. I don't know why they wouldn't just say. They do like why now I'm curious about the mechanics of of what are these larger arrows? What do they look like? How are they? How do you carry them? <sighs> yeah, do you need a special quiver and all that shit? So, yeah. and then there's my favorite one to try to say, which is the uh, Yikolwa. This is a simple melee weapon from Tomb of Annihilation. It does one d8 piercing damage, and you throw it. Uh, it's the traditional weapon of the Chultan warriors. Uh, Yikolwa consists of a three-foot wooden shaft with a steel or stone blade up to a foot and a half long on the end of it. So it's four and a half feet long, and it's one-third a blade. Although it has a thrown weapon property, the Yikawa is not well-balanced for throwing um, because it only goes 10 feet or 30 feet with disadvantage, right? So uh, that one's a lot of fun, really flavorful and neat, and I would give this to headhunters and the, and the veggie pygmies and, that, you know, that kind of shit, so... Uh, let's grab dice, because we haven't rolled initiative yet, and that's what I like to do. All right. Can I have the purple one? You can have the purple one. Aww. Thank you. Okay, I'll take the yellow one. I will take this one. This is this is very nice. It's like a Ronald McDonald yellow. I got a nine. I won't do Did that again. That I won't do that again. I won't do that again. <laughs> oh, you bumped me. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I got right, a 12. So there, you're first. Okay. 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 So, what's your favorite weapon so far that we listed in a Y? I uh, I really like uh, the whip. I'm not too bothered that it's only a 1d4 because I was using it with an arcane trickster rogue where I was usually setting it up for sneak attack anyway. Yeah. So, I didn't feel that, you know, that too much. I enjoy the reach with it. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a homebrew rule that we played where I could grapple with it. That was homebrew. What? That okay. was homebrew because I remember that from previous editions and I'm like... What's the fucking point without it? Yeah, and it made sense. So I uh, really enjoy the whip. I love that. Um, Thanks, because it sounds the way you said it, it sounds like you don't love that. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying it out of habit. Like, hi, how are you? Good. Anyway, like love that. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I legit love the mall. Yeah. I just think it's underutilized. Sure. And it it has such a iconic and unique. It's not like any even the Great Club is just a big fucking baseball bat. The mall with that big like steel or iron fucking end to it that's badass mm-hmm. I, I, I got a thing for clerics so like i'm just i don't know i'm all i'm all about a cleric with a big hefty maul megan <laughs> <laughs> i just needed people to digest that for a hot second <laughs> yeah. scrolling through my phone but i'm not really looking for anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm really busy right now um i i'm a, i love the classics i'm a longsword person I think any character that I have that can have a longsword will have one. And I just find that I'm never disappointed in the amount of damage that it can do. I love the fact that I can still wield a shield and have a free hand, even though it's a large-sized weapon. Yeah. Um, I just feel like it's the most average, and yet again, I've never been disappointed in it. Yeah. So It's what's a go-to fantasy weapon, right? Absolutely. And you can finesse it and, like, characterize it, make it fun, and it's just, it's a good starting point, I think. Also, it's just absolutely classic to get a magic longsword. A magic whip or a magic maul doesn't have the same, like... But now you have to make one, because I feel like Terry has said in multiple episodes that whips are his favorite, so... I keep bringing it up. <laughs> ah, you found a cat of nine tails again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Another riding crop. 
Uh, did I manage to change your mind on any of these? Were there anything that, they, that you liked before, and then you're like, well, fuck, I get useless? Hmm, actually, the other way for me. Um, I was not interested in the net, and now I feel like I want to try and make it work Good luck somehow. Yeah. I know. Is it It's is it a light weapon? I forget. Nope. So that means you can't even have a spear or a no. trident in the net. No. Mechanically. No. You can't, you can't have the whole kit and caboodle. You can't have <laughs> what you assume that you would have anyway. Okay. Uh, so yeah, cause maybe I'll try and make it work, but you know, I probably won't. I was going to say, like Dan tried to do it for a one shot and gave up halfway through. Yeah. And Dan's like a min max King. So if yeah. he can't yeah. do it, can't be done, but it should be able to be done properly. I think someone fix that. Uh, well, I'll, ta- I'll tell you how you're making the net made out of chains. Sure. You get rid of that fucking low AC and low damage shit. Yeah. People aren't just strength checking their way out of it. By I think three. even just add the light property. Will would still help that and a trident, so you can be a triton like thematically. That'll just yeah 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 um yeah. I always wanted to play a halfling druid with the two sickles, and I not in this edition. I'm out. Yeah, like the sickle just sucks. It yeah. just sucks. Um, I clubs in general, I've, I've never really been interested in any way, shape, or form. Um, in, you know, my personal life as well as in my life. Um, sports bars so, only, no sports clubs. Bars yeah. Only, yeah. I like to be able to have a conversation, yeah, Megan, so, yeah, and if you're bringing clubs into it of any kind, that's not happening, so. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Unless it's a club soda. Oh, what a party that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it's, that is why the fuck you drinking club soda. That's it. Um, but I'm, I now have an interest in just the great club. I think that I talked about how much I like bludgeoning damage. And I'm like, why would I not have, why have I never wielded a bludgeoning damaged weapon before? Would you be as interested if it was called the mediocre club? Yeah. But like, still did like, the same stuff? Uh, but then it, I would want to be PR able to thing? wield it with one hand. I don't like the idea of the like the regular club deal with one hand because there's only one D4. I would want to have the great club that I can wield with one hand. What about the slightly above average club because you've never had any complaints? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are any of the useless weapons, in your opinion, redeemable? I went through the club, unarmed hits, sickle, lance, dart, sling, blowgun, and net. They are redeemable for me in... Uh, only in like circumstances so like if you're in a tavern brawl table leg is a club if you yeah. start throwing forks at people uh, that's a dart to me you sure. know stuff yeah. like that it's it basically as improvised weapons you can use those stats so. sure um i don't know i really want to redeem the sling somehow but it's so fucking weak as is yeah um can we make it bigger, like a pillowcase? Can we do like a great sling or something? A, <laughs> a hammock? great sling, yeah. <laughs> a hammock. <laughs> Fuck! Now I want to have a giant wielding a hammock as a sling. That'll yeah. be a bath towel. <laughs> <laughs> or just a gnome that has to spend a full turn spinning like a hammer throw with like a pillowcase or a hammock. Yeah. And then it can let it go after that. Okay, uh, Megan, any of them redeemable? Um, I am now determined to make darts redeemable. Oh yeah, we're gonna look for those. Because for... I'm currently playing a monk that yeah. carries darts with her and never uses and them. And never once. However, comma at low level, my unarmed strikes do pretty much the same amount of damage as this fucking dart would do, but the dart is ranged. So, but I never use it. But then again, I can never really use. Yeah, but what's your speed? What's your movement speed? Currently, it's yeah. my regular is sixty. Just put the darts in between your fingers, and, and you're, you're going to get through. you're going to get there before the dart does anyway. If you throw it, so yeah. <laughs> he's not wrong. Yeah, that should be like your offhand attack. Throw the dart first, then punch them, and then let the dart hit them. 
Or, or grapple them and hold them still for the dart that's incoming. Yeah. <laughs> See? Redeemable, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, fun little game. I want you, I'm want going to count down from three to one on each of these. Okay. Uh, and when I say one, you guys tell me which one you prefer. I want to see if we land on the same thing over and over again. Okay. These okay. are all of the mechanically similar or identical okay. ones. All right? So, all right. I like this game. Uh, spear or trident? Three, two, one. Spear. Trident. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, short sword or scimitar? Three, two, one. Scimitar. Nice. Uh, battle axe or long sword? Three, two, one. Long sword. Uh, glaive, halberd, or pike? Three, two, one. Glaive. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Because I had a glaive and it was good. <laughs> and his name was Craig. And his name was Craig, yes. Uh, Megan, why glaive? Because I had a glaive and she liked it. <laughs> It was, was it was the reach. It was the reach. Thematically, I feel like it's just the most usable without being weird. I feel like all of these should have that crazy trip mechanic that that hooked spear had. Yeah. Right? I feel like it always homebrew that into most of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Morningstar or Warpick? Three, two, one. Warpick. Cool. Why? I've used a Morning Star before as a character at one point. I was like, well, you I meant like, like I thought you meant real life. Like, like, what the fuck? Starfighter. <laughs> like no one would be surprised. <laughs> but like the the things that happen to Megan in her life, and then you don't find out. It's like what is the like what is the other stuff that's happening in your life if you think this stuff shouldn't be brought up in conversation? And this was going to be one of those things, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, great sword or maul? I guess a great axe as well. All right, so great axe, great sword, or maul. Three, two, one. Maul. I want to say, I'm just going to say maul. Just for the damage. But I probably wouldn't, but I want to think that I would. Okay. Is that just for me? That that I would use the maul because you said maul? (laughs) Because I want to know that if if the situation came up, I would take the maul. Okay, sir. But Um, I won't. um, So there's a lot of useless shit on this list. Um, before we uh, take a break here for a second, what's a design feature that you would add to create variety to weapon choices? What is one mechanic that you're like, if we put this on weapons, it opens it completely the fuck up? Um, probably the ability to be able to move people yeah. a little bit. Yeah, if it's a heavy weapon, yeah, there should be you should be able to move them five feet or something. Knock them five feet directly yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I miss from three point five where there were different crit ranges on different weapons. So if you roll a nineteen or twenty on this that specific uh, weapon, then that's considered a crit, where it's only a twenty for others, mm. right? And uh, I really, really fucking like that mechanic. And people were picking scimitar because it had the best crit range. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say that everything should be able to be thrown and everything should have piercing damage. Pierce, I don't think a maul gets piercing damage. I would still give it piercing damage. <laughs> I think everything should be able to be thrown. You're right. 100%. Everything yeah. should be able to be thrown and have more damage than just your basic unarmed or um, improvised weapon attacking ability. Because if I had the strength to throw a maul at someone, mm-hmm. it would do more damage than 1d4. Well, a maul does more than 1d4. But that's what I mean. But if you were to throw it, because it's not necessarily a ranged weapon, Mm, you would then have to use the mechanic of either unarmed attack or an improvised weapon, which is usually like 1d4. Right. Yeah, the improvised weapon is supposed to line up with whatever the DM says lines up. Mm -hmm. With So like table leg equals club, right? Or machete equals short sword, right? So... In theory, that's the way it's supposed to be, but yeah, most people just kind of hand wave and say, I don't know, D8 maybe, D4. Yeah, or just throw bit. it out there. Yeah. But I feel like it should be based on your strength 
Mm-hmm. And then you should just be able to do the damage of the weapon as a thrown weapon. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that. I just like throwing weapons. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing that a lot in the current campaign where you just whip your short sword across the fucking I have thrown my short sword many times. Yeah. <laughs> Keep them guessing. Yeah. Keep them guessing. Hey, everyone. It's that season again where we're starting to gear up into the holidays where we go from, I guess Halloween is the first one, through American Thanksgiving, Black Friday, office parties for the holidays, parties with friends for the holidays, the holiday itself, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, there's a lot going on. And in the middle of it all, we also have daylight savings time hitting, throwing everybody off, not to mention holiday shopping. It's gonna be madness, it's gonna be wild. Everyone remember to take a breath, take it easy. Don't drink and drive, don't drive high. Take care of yourselves and take care of your families and let's get through the next couple of months with smiles and cheer and a little bit of spookiness and start off the next year on the right foot. Stay safe out there. So, we sat down and tallied up all the resistances, immunities, and vulnerabilities that creatures have in 5th edition. If you want to hear us talk about conditions, you can go check out the five-part series we did on all of the conditions. But this is about the damage types and the monsters they affect most. Because that's really what we're looking for, isn't it? It's not so much about, oh, I can do cool, wacky acid damage. It's about how many people can I fuck up with this. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into discussing the ins and outs of the damage types, I just want to say that we're not covering the named NPCs or all the templates for half-dragon options in this section. We did the math and decided not to take them into consideration. Also, counting everything in all the books, all the official PDFs, and the starter set and essentials kit was a daunting task. My numbers here might not be perfect, but as of the Monsters of the Multiverse and Call of the Netherdeep, I'm pretty confident that our counts here hold up. And holy shit, did Monsters of the Multiverse make this fucking difficult. So, like, did you know that uh, sometimes monsters just swapped entire creature types between the two fucking books? For example, apparently the stench cow is no longer a beast, it's a fiend. Which fucking just baffles me. And there's a bunch of weird, subtle shit which made this difficult. Anyway, let's get into the creature types alphabetically. And when you're in a campaign and you know you're going up against a lot of these things, what kind of damage should you be looking for? So that's really the question we're trying to answer here. Mm -hmm. Aberrations comes first because it begins with an A. Um, They don't have a lot of protection against damage types except for the Slotty and the Star Spawns and the Quarry from Eberron. Most aberrations have a single way to mitigate damage, but you can work around it easily enough as long as you don't rely on psychic damage. Because aberrations tend to come from the Far Realms, they're all weird and psychic-y shit, so... Mm -hmm. Um, Then that's where the aberrations shine, so... For the most part, you want to use Force, Radiant, or Thunder damage. The kind of damage that no one remembers. Until they're trying to do stealth. Wasn't, like, Thunder damage, like, inherently, like, Force damage? No, force damage is like a magical, almost telekinetic punch to the chest. Yeah. Whereas thunder damage is sonic damage. I guess so, yeah. Okay. When it comes to fighting beasts, swarms are the issue. Sure, there are some surprise resistances here and there, but for the most part, it'll be the swarm's ability to shrug off all of the non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing attacks that will really make adventurers, especially tier 1, sweat. There aren't really any insights into what damage types to focus on for beasts, Uh, In previous editions, swarms had issues against fire, but that's not true anymore. 
Just make sure that there are at least a couple of elemental area of effect spells in the party, and you ought to be okay when you're going up against a whole bunch of wilderness. Celestials have surprisingly little in the way of strengths and weaknesses, except for the bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing resistance from non-magical attacks. Obviously, don't try to use radiant damage. It's the one thing angels can easily shrug off, but most of the other celestials can, you know, take a radiant hit and it'll still hurt them. Acid, cold, and lightning are always effective against Celestials, but Thunder, Psychic, Necrotic, Force, and Fire are fairly reliable too. Just whatever you do, get the damage dice rolling. It's going to be about hitting hard and fast against Celestials more than choosing special damage types. And that's the thing about 5th edition. We complain about the pool of hit points, but the hit points aren't the problem. It's the fact that they're all taking half damage most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Constructs are incredibly durable with the most damage immunities out of all of the categories, with a whopping 385 out of the 1,000 or so. Most of these are against bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, fire, and lightning, which is a long fucking list to be immune to. But if you think you can rely on poison or psychic damage, you're in for a world of hurt as well. And even if you can get around some of the immunities, they have a crazy amount of resistances too. They're easily the third most durable creature type in the game. You need acid, cold, and force damage. But there are a few constructs with immunities to even those, so I look to Radiant and Thunder as the most reliable types against against constructs. Hmm. Dragons are immune in all the ways you'd expect dragons to be immune, right? Like this one has lightning shit, so it's immune to lightning, right? Uh, but they tend to focus on immunities instead of resistances, and that means that they're hyper-specialized. Don't bother with elemental types here unless you know exactly what to avoid. Surprisingly, most dragons are just as vulnerable to bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing as humans are. Until you get to great worms and aspect of gods, but at that point, fuck, you're on your own. Good luck. If your dungeon master hasn't figured out gem dragons yet, Force, Necrotic, Psychic, Radiant, and Thunder are good options. But remember, don't bring Necrotic to a Shadow Dragon fight. Elementals are pretty straightforward too. They have something they're good at and they stick with it. But you might find that your mundane attacks and attempts at poison are upsettingly ineffective as well. I'd lean into Acid and Psychic damage if I can. And it appears that not a single elemental has ever heard of force damage or necrotic damage. So chalk that up for a win for necromancers and warlocks because there's no immunities, there's no resistances, and there's no vulnerabilities for any elemental for force or necrotic. The Fey are a little disappointing. There aren't a lot of resistances and immunities with the Fey. I mean, watch out for Aladdin and any nature-y fey, but otherwise you should be good to fight. Well, as good as a fight against the fey ever fucking goes. If you want to knock them down quickly, Force, Radiant, and Thunder will be your most reliable options, but you don't have to strategize too much on this. If the 385 immunities of the constructs has you upset, then the 488 resistances and 208 immunities of the fiends is going to make you fucking quake. Almost every fiend has more than one way to reduce damage, and the higher the CR, the tougher they are to harm. And let me just say, fuck Rakshasas. It's you're gonna be there all fucking day. <laughs> Fortunately, there are some good go-to damage types. Necrotic, surprisingly for fiends, and Psychic have only a few issues with some of the higher-powered fiends, but Thunder, Radiant, Force damage are always solid. It makes you wonder why fiendish patrons give Eldritch Blast to their warlocks. Yeah. Because no fiend has any resistance, immunity, or vulnerability at all to force damage. Like they've never heard of it before. So, odd one there. Yeah. Let's teach you this thing that's mildly useless. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part, 
Giants are like dragons and elementals. They don't have consistent damage type that they're able to withstand. Frost giants are good against cold. Fire giants against fire. Storm giants against lightning. Generally speaking, it's not the resistances and immunities you're dealing with. It's the sheer amount of fucking hit points. When a giant has both a mountain of hit points and a couple of resistances or immunities, you might be in for a bad day. So diversify your damage types. Honestly, there's not a bad choice when it comes to damage types against giants. Just know that they're themed and prep accordingly. Humanoids are an odd bunch. A lot of different kinds of humanoids all get lumped together, but they all tend to shine in different ways. For example, you can't judge every humanoid based on the grung's immunity to poison or some dragon souls resistant to acid. Every damage type will shine most of the time and fail very occasionally against humanoids. Watch out for unique legacies and races or weird trends among cultists and zealots. Otherwise, just go with whatever feels right and cracks and fucking skulls. Monstrosities are a lot like humanoids when it comes to one size not fitting all. The bad news is that there are more surprising amounts of immunities uh, hidden among the ranks of the monstrosities. The good news is that you can probably figure out which ones are immune to acid, cold, fire, or poison just by encountering them once. And once you know that, you're laughing. Force and Thunder are, as always, reliable against most everything, and Psychic and Radiant damage are almost as good as well. When it comes to oozes, you need to watch out for two things. Ochre jellies and black puddings. If the slime is yellow or black, back up and let the Necromancer and Warlock do the thing, and whatever you do, put the slashing weapons away. Against oozes, you want to focus on force and necrotic, like I implied, but bludgeoning, piercing, poison, psychic, radiant, and thunder are also solid choices. I think the only piece of advice I have to give about fighting plants is that, uh, A, you shouldn't expect to kill it easily by bashing or poking. Uh, that's a no-brainer. That fire is your best answer here. Mm. Um, which brings us to our final creature type, Undead. Uh, these are the second most durable creature types after the fiends with 346 resistances and 230 immunities. Also, everybody fights fuck tons of undead low levels in every fucking campaign. So the good news is they have the most vulnerabilities out of all the creature types, but that just means 30 out of the thousand. So most of that is bludgeoning weapons to bash skeletons apart. As for bypassing their resistances, you don't have a whole lot of good options. It's mostly Force, Psychic, and Radiant. Uh, bludgeoning, Piercing, Slashing, Necrotic, and Lightning are going to let you down. And if you think you can poison them, then you don't know much about biology. They're about as immune to poison as constructs are. So, that was a fuck ton of information, so let's look at it from a different angle for a second. Overall, you're going to be stuck with at least one weapon that relies on bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage. The faster you can get a weapon that has a plus one or magical property the faster you'll be able to get around the majority of resistances. There are 255 creatures with some form of slashing resistance, 256 with bludgeoning resistances, and 271 with piercing resistances. Each of these damage types also has roughly 100 or so creatures that are just straight up immune, so you need to look elsewhere. Force damage is by far the best for getting around defenses because it's only going to get tripped up by about 15 creatures in all of 5th edition. So far, it's... And the next best option is Radiant Damage with 21 resistant creatures and 11 that are immune. Unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of spells or abilities that let you tap into these. Warlocks and Clerics and some Paladins might have the ability to shine occasionally, but the rest of the party should always be in the lookout for scrolls, wands, and other magic items that will grant you access to these damage types. Now, Thunder isn't bad either. 
But the problem with thunder damage is that it announces your presence to everyone in the immediate vicinity. If you don't care about that, then it's going to be reliable against all but 54 creatures. And over a third of those are just nasty undead that are resistant to just about everything like will-o'-wisps, banshees, and nightwalkers. When it comes to acid, necrotic, and psychic damage, it's good to think about what the campaign is going to look like. I wouldn't take necrotic into Curse of Strahd, for example. There's going to be a lot of fiends, maybe choose psychic over acid, and vice versa for a campaign by a DM who likes, you know, constructs. Now... We get down to the big four, cold, lightning, fire, and poison. When it comes to cold and lightning, you're essentially on even footing. There aren't many spells, but what does exist for these damage types kicks ass. You're going to have a bad time against a lot of fiends and more than a few undead, and you need to be careful about which dragons you piss off, but aberrations, beasts, celestials, elementals, fey, humanoids, oozes, and plants are all on pretty even footing between the two damage types. Cold is better against constructs, lightning is better against more giants than cold, and lightning gets the slightest edge over monstrosities. The biggest choice should really come down to what kind of campaign you're in. I wouldn't recommend focusing on cold in Rime of the Frost Maiden, because, you know, just about all the big bad guys will have at least resistance to it. But if I had to choose, I'd probably say that lightning will fare better over the span of an entire campaign, especially in campaigns with a lot of dungeon crawl opportunities, like the stuff in Tales from the Yawning Portal, and Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Which brings us to fire. There are 147 creatures with resistance, 120 that's over a tenth that are immune, and only 28 that are vulnerable. But of all the damage-dealing spells, fire shines brightest. Pun intended. Yes, a lot of creatures will shrug it off, but those that can't will burn quickly. And it's also very, very fucking satisfying, just ask James. It's hard to recommend that a character should focus on fire, but it's just as hard to ignore fireball if you can get your hands on it. I guess the big question is, how much of a pyromaniac you want to be? That brings us around to poison, and it always feels like such a good idea at the time. I mean, fuck, they gave us a blowgun, which is just entirely poison-based. There's nothing else to it. But the spells are weak, and it usually has an easy save. Resistance often gets paired with the poisoned condition. Uh, but the worst part about it is that there are an incredible 469 creatures that are immune to it, and only one that is vulnerable. That means over 37% of the damage immunities, immunities, that exist in the game are to poison alone. And that one vulnerability is a plant that's buried in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Now, most of those immunities are constructs, undead, and fiends, but those are also some of the most common enemies you're going to face. As much as I hate to admit it, this game just isn't built for assassins who like to poison their victims. If you have the option to choose between poison and anything else, choose the anything else. So I've rambled. I parched. Let's grab dice and roll so I can not talk Sure. I thought that was going to take sir. a lot longer than it did when I scrolled through my notes there. But oh, yeah. man, you got through that. Okay. Yeah. That was awesome. All right. Ooh, got a 20. No. I, I, like, I, I got I, 11. I parched. I need to stop. Then I rolled a 19. What fuck? I knocked your 20. 20. I knocked your 20, but it didn't change. You know what? It's it solid move. 20. It's, it's, uh, okay. <laughs> so first of all, Megan... How do you feel about the fact that some damage types are more or less common than others? I, I mean, it makes sense based on the how biology works for things that certain things will have more weaknesses than others. However, I am very, very annoyed at the fact that I did choose a character who does poison damage. And it's a damn shame, isn't it? It's a it? damn fucking shame that I did that. So It's an oversight, I think. And that's the thing. is like, if you're going to start looking into, like, it's one of those things you don't really think about. You're like, oh, yeah, because that thematically fits with my character, but you don't actually look into the numbers or crunch 
what that's going to be beneficial to you. So to your point, Adam, usually you will come across undead in any beginner's campaign, shall we say, at some point in time. But if you're going to be spending your entire campaign in a world where the undead exist, you might want to look at the damage options that you do have. And not necessarily what's flavorful for to you, but flavorful to the actual environment you are going to be in. So, Quick uh, side question. If a creature is typically um, resistant or immune, or we'll say like immune to the poison damage, does that usually mean that they're immune to the poison condition? Yeah, they yeah. tend to go hand in hand. Hand in hand? Which sucks. Yeah, because a lot of them are like, if you, it's a fail save, and if you save, then you don't get the poison condition, and right. you will most likely save because you are... Which is a shame, right? Because yeah. even, like, there would be times where it's like, you don't really care if you're going to damage them, and you just want them to start tripping balls in the middle of the fight. And yeah, that would still be okay. In the end, of your two question, it makes sense that they, some are and some aren't, but I just think that some are wildly overpowered. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, it's so fucking bizarre to me. And it would be better if we could have, like, high-powered, like, po- like if there was a shit ton of high-powered poison attacks or poisons, that this one will get past the first 30 hit points of damage resistance or something, you know? Yeah. If there were special kinds of poisons out there then yes, I would look into this, but, ah, oh, fuck. Like, the fact that Force and Acid and Psychic and Necrotic and Radiant are just so, so useful all of the time. Mm-hmm. And why would you not be a Cleric or a Warlock or a Necromancer or something that just leans into one of these damage types? You're never worried about resistances. Oh, yeah, I was never sad about my Radiant damage capabilities. No. It yeah. was either neutral or better. And, yeah, and I, I just want to just to further on your point, Megan. Here, I am aware of the fact that you picked a poison-based oh. character as your and as your DM. I'm like, well, my hands are tied on a lot of this shit, but I do go out of my way to make it so that you're not fighting a whole lot of poison-resistant stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you are, I haven't stacked seven or eight of them back to back, right? One adventuring day. Yeah, it makes me have to do more legwork as a DM, but in a homebrew campaign like ours. I, I mean, I'm doing that legwork anyway, right? Fair enough. But if you were going into, out, like, uh, Out of the Abyss, which is all drow and fiends and shit, mm-hmm. right? There's so much poison in that campaign that you being a poisoned character, I, I can't work around that as a DM. Yeah. Or it's going to be really hard to do it. And I would have to state early, maybe even in session zero, knowing what kind of character you're going to play, I would say, hey, look, for our intents and purposes, all the drow shit's going to be necrotic, or it's going to be acid, or something instead, so that you yourself will have more fun as a player, because that's the point of this fucking game. Yeah. yeah. Not to follow the book, like, you know, to the letter, so. And I think that's a good way of getting around it. I know I'm supposed to answer in the other question. Uh, how do I feel about the fact that some damage types are more or less common than others? Yes, it's, it's frustrating. I get it. There's biologically, it, you have to do that sometimes. But I think, Adam, you have a good way of getting around that. Like, uh, like Rattlesnip Venom causes necrosis. That makes yeah. absolute sense to use necrotic damage. But you could even use, like, acid damage if it's burning you from the insides. Yeah. There's well, ways around it. Okay, so that brings me to my next question, which, as a DM, would you allow a player to swap the damage type of a spell by casting a black fire bolt that does necrotic damage? Or something like, instead of fireball, thunderball or something. 
Yeah, um, I, I would absolutely allow it if it's flavorful to the character and how it's being built. So, like, to the point of I once had a paladin of light who lost all hope of humanity, so all of their abilities suddenly became necrotic as opposed to radiant, radiant yeah. right? And But that was just a flavor turning point. I wouldn't just let them at the table be like, oh, I'm gonna throw this fireball, but I would like it to be, like, a pit of acid. It's like, no, like, with why, how, X, Y, Z, right? But I think that if your character goes through a large, like, swap or or even even when you're building the character right at the very beginning, should they choose to go in one certain direction, they're, like, a super good, like, lawful good character, but for some reason one of their spells is, like, a necrotic spell, like, they can be like, hey, can I switch this to Radiant just because it fits the flavor a little bit better and I want to be able to describe a ball of light or whatever. Yeah. I think that that's perfectly acceptable. I am more interested in changing the world around the players and changing the players mechanics themselves mm -hmm. because if i have a player that's going to come to me and say hey i don't want to do bludgeoning damage i want to do psychic damage instead i know that player is dan or dave or brad or somebody that's crunched the fucking numbers or seen a reddit post or something about this and they're trying to bypass the monster immunities and in that case, the answer is no. Fuck off. Yeah. Right? Like, leave it up to me to be able to facilitate the world around you. You're still going to have fun, but no, you don't get a fucking cheat code. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right? Um, however, there are times where I will straight up say, yes, uh, the green dragon breathed poison into your lungs over and over and over again, dropping you to zero hit points and making you fail two death saves. And then you came back with temporary hit points. Right? And then got knocked down to zero again seven or eight times. Now you have the ability to do poison damage. Yeah. It's in your fucking veins now. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I would absolutely give that shit to somebody. But again, that's circumstantial, flavor-based, story, contextual details absolutely. to allow me to do it. And it's not their idea. It's my idea as the DM. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. I um, Yes, I would... But not just on a whim. Okay, there's a, this game needs to be a challenge. On a side note, what you're talking about with the Dan and Dave there. Yeah. So funny how people's brains are. Like, those guys play this game, it feels like to me, as though they're just viewing Matrix code. It's all just... Yeah, but I'm much time. more of a... Yeah, I'm more of like a romantic, <laughs> yeah, but, creative brain. But Dan's I, is just zero. 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 <laughs> I know. But I like I always talk about with you, Adam. Like I like to get like sucked into the story. I'm like such a like more much more of a romantic brain. I couldn't imagine playing this game just seeing numbers. But people, that's alright. They're well, great it's guys. Where, it's where you started, right? Like, yeah. You start in the previous editions where it is busting out the right. Math that's and... what the game is to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, I would let a player change it. But it would be like say if you're just about to learn Fireball and you requested it. I would say that in your studies, that maybe I would, not necessarily a side quest, but something additional, some additional roles so you can change the damage to Thunder or something, but that's it. It's now Thunderball. It's now never Fireball. You don't get a free spell. You know, you have to do Fireball and Thunderball. It doesn't work like that. Uh, or I might do, to go off your idea, where there's a, a situation that changes that. Uh, yes, you can change one spell's damage, but I would maybe say, but so can I. So I will decide another spell, which is now always poison damage. Sure, yeah. I would maybe do it some way like that. So it would be, it would always be like, um, yes, and type thing. Yeah, I just feel like a lot of the spells, uh, we, we see it online, people ranting and bitching about the different kind of, there's not enough cold, there's not enough lightning, right. there's not enough 
right? Like Lightning Bolt and Fireball are super powerful for level three, but the level three cold spells are super weak. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but how many fucking monsters at level five are you running into that are immune to the different thing? Like you need it to... There is a weird balance there, and I'm not saying Wizards gets it right all of the fucking time. Yeah. But I don't don't fuck with it too much, or it's going to get fucking weird. It always... The more changes you make, the more you break the game. Oh, it's a butterfly effect. Yeah. And then it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Okay, so when it comes to color of the spells, of the damage types... Let's talk spell damage. What's your hot take on color? For example, is fireball red or orange? Is cold damage blue or white? What's your hot take? So this is just for flavor. Just for flavor. Right. I just, I don't think it's necessary, I think, is unfortunately my hot take. And I think that just comes from being an artist knowing how many colors there are on the fucking color wheel. Yeah. I just do not understand. This one is chartreuse. That's like, you know, like, this is a cerulean blue, which means it is cold and water damage at the same time. Like, what? Like, I just, like, I I understand the necessity of assigning colors to things so that, like, when you look at a map or if you're looking at something, you have, like, a visual trigger of what might be happening. However, when I look at a map or if I look at a color, what I look at a color is not going to be the same thing that Terry looks no at. No like, yeah. Again, I might see a cerulean blue and I'll be like, oh, that's like full on water damage. And then you'll be like, no, no, that's cold. Like, yeah. like is it though? <laughs> like, I was, what makes it cold? <laughs> I was talking to the creative director at, uh, at my uh, company recently saying, oh, you know, like you're like the head of design and like you, it's got to be so amazing. The world for you, like going around and seeing all these different designs, these colors and stuff. And he's like, no, man, imagine you understand these concepts and then everywhere you go, everybody else thinks they can fucking do it. <laughs> and he's like, you drive down a street and all of the spacing and the fucking fonts that don't Why fit. Why are you using it. a composite uh, color? Yeah. Please stop. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm like that with fonts and yeah. kerning. The yeah. space of the so do you like comic yeah. sense? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Holy fuck no. And, and I read, oh my God. So I read blueprints all day for a fucking living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so does Dan. And I reach out to him and I'm like, Dan, I just found a blueprint in Comic Sans. He's like, oh yeah, there's one firm in Vancouver that does that. And I've just been <gasps> seeing it all the fucking time. Blueprints in Comic Sans. I could fucking I scream. It. I would die. I die for you. But oh. that's my hot take on using colors for that kind of stuff. Is like, you don't need it. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I love you, like descriptive words and describing the, the different details of what's going on mm-hmm. uh, when someone casts spells. Because a lot of people are like, I point my finger and cast fireball. They blow up over there. Like, yeah, but but what are you doing? Somatic components should involve footwork. Let's get into this, guys. Yeah, like, they should yeah. be big, I want exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. They need to be big, exaggerated movements, so there should be big, exaggerated, colorful spells that make the paladin feel different than the cleric. But everybody comes at it differently, so I always let the players choose, and every once in a while, they choose fucking wrong. Yeah. They're just... <laughs> necrotic is not purple. I'm sorry, it just isn't. Who thinks necrotic is purple? Uh, that came up in a one... I want to say it was Charlie said necrotic was purple. Yeah. Really? We've had that argument at the table. Yeah. So, like, so there were... There have been some arguments. The only colors in my head, or the only damage types that do not have colors, are bludgeoning, uh, piercing, slashing, and psychic. There's no I see, color. I see, I see psychic as purple. Uh, that's Pokemon, maybe? I know. Yeah. That's the issue, is that I watch way too much anime and way too much Pokemon and way too much things where, like, all these damage types are assigned a color for visual reference. Sure. So. What's uh, force damage, then? Uh, <laughs> so force damage to me is pink. 
And I have a stupid reason for this. And it's sure. because I worked in a comic book store for a number of years back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of the uh, X-Men shit was really popular at the time. And Magneto, every time he did anything with magnetism, it was always pink. Force fields are pink. Force yeah. fields are pink. Right. Therefore, force damages pink. Okay. And that's just, like, that's that's actually one of my hot takes, yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. Uh, I never see uh, cold as being blue, because I still think blue is, like, hot, like, electricity even. So, uh, I, I always see uh, cold damages uh, as white. Um, and I But I always see things like thunder and force damages is clear, kind of like the Gandalf spell casting. Just poof, it's just more disruptive like in the shock air. Wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a force wave or whatever, like a sonic boom of some kind. Yeah, but then I also it it doesn't bother me too much if players will maybe get it like wrong. I'm a little bit more forgiving. Maybe it's almost like an accent or a dialect, if you will. It depends on where yeah. you learned it. Maybe. Yeah, but like like because in my in my mind, my poison character like would be in my mind would be green because that's technically mm-hmm. where it comes. Right. From. However, Green I could just dragon, be like, right? yeah. yeah, but I could also just be like, you know what? For flavor context, for funsies, it's just orange. Yeah. And then you'd be like, what the fuck, Megan? Yeah. And I'd be like, it's why a tree not? frog. Fucking poison. artists. But what's um, what is what it's was gonna be my question? To you? <laughs> what's that? Uh, what's acid? Sorry. What's acid? What's acid? I, I acid is just black to me. So what's necrotic? Necrotic. Yeah. I don't know. Clear. Yeah, and you see, the, Megan you see, repeats the, the thing yeah. to, to put time to process. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> okay, so hold on. Now I'm gonna have to write them all down. Uh, this, <laughs> this is gonna be magenta. This is gonna be fuchsia. It's all it's all different kinds of red. Just everything is magic mother, is red. Mother of pearl white, and this one's gonna be <laughs> hunter's green. Um, yeah. You're gonna make a fucking color wheel of magic. Beige. Yeah. Okay. You make a color beige. I cast beige. (laughs) Okay. I love that. And then we'll zoom in and it'll be all the different spells on the gradient of it as well. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, uh, do you think there's a damage type that's missing? Emotional damage. That's emotional. Psychic damage isn't always emotional. Psychic damage uh, cut, is... With cutting words, it is. Okay, right. but like in your campaigns, yes, absolutely. But in <laughs> campaigns where psychic damage is never actually talked about. It's just something that happens. Your brain gets scrambled. You yeah. can't think. You can't speak. It actually causes physical issues because something happens to your brain. So in my mind, I was like, what's missing is... And, and maybe it just plays into like the sanity side of things, more mm-hmm. or less. Which I think in a lot of role-playing games, sanity is homebrewed. Yeah. Um, so I think that they are missing that weird in the between component of between sanity and like mental. So I, I th- and my, what I came up with was that emotional damage would have mm-hmm. been what is missing. So like if my father's sword explodes and dies and I no longer can hear my father's voice, which has happened to my character we've heard a million times. Thank you, Adam, very much. You're welcome. I feel like an emotional damage would happen that if that certain topic was ever brought up, I then roll a disadvantage for things. Okay, but that's but, but that but that's that's a condition effect. That's a condition effect, right? Yeah, that's I'm not, not sure. damage. And it doesn't line up, Megan, because my biological father left me when I was five, and I have no problem with commitment issues at all. So it's fine. <laughs> do you need a hug, Terry? None whatsoever. I, okay, but I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Quick, quick sidebar, Megan. Um, do you take emotional damage now that Dan's character gets to hear your father's disembodied voice? It it hurts me every time. Oh, does it? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a thing happening. Right now. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so I think the damage type that's missing is crushing damage. Okay. 
Okay. It's not mm. bludgeoning. Mm. I want that constriction, that that crushing. Not just the boulder lying on top of you, but like the the constrictor snake that is wrapped around you and squeezing. Okay. I want there to be a damage type associated with grappling. With the giant grabs you and closes his fist tightly. No, that, I refuse. That, I know that bothers you. That's how you die. I absolutely refuse. <laughs> <laughs> Three I, characters in a row have died I, that I, way. I, I don't accept this as an option. But like squish damage should be different than bludgeoning damage, and it isn't. Also, I think that we could probably use crushing as also fall damage. I was going to say, it's like the reverse of fall. Yeah. Because like that, your body's going to get crushed when you hit yeah. the ground, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. so that's my that's my answer. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a, a damage type, but I think there should be uh, like a delayed damage. Like if you take thunder damage or force damage or something or anything that might cause internal bleeding, that should come up again later <laughs> on, I think. Internal damage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like internal damage. Um, like but you don't know you've taken any damage until you go to pee and it's just red. Like, oh, fuck. But that might be, yeah, that may be something I could homebrew in, though, I think so. Well, I, do, I, I, I do not envy your players. <laughs> just drops dead at the tavern after everybody's celebrating. Like one, one shot of dwarven ale and just dead. Dead on the spot. What happened to this guy? Oh, he's been a bad liver for years. <laughs> it's called internal damage. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do a quick uh, social media break here. Don't forget, guys, you can uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. And if you have any questions, complaints, or uh, queries, you can throw them out to info at itsamimic.com, and somebody will likely get back to you. We also like that for our mailbag questions. Those episodes are always hilarious. (laughs) Okay, so for our final topic, let's talk about poisons. So we'll start with the basic poison, uh, which would come in a vial. You can find the information for this one in the player's handbook. This would be 100 gold pieces if you want to buy it. And this is inflicted via injury, which means it needs to enter the bloodstream. So slashing damage or or, uh, piercing damage, you know, the more common ways that this may happen for us. Uh, So you can use this poison in a vial to coat one of the slashing or piercing weapons uh, or up to three pieces of ammunition. And applying the poison will take an action. A creature that's hit by the poisoned weapon or ammunition must make a DC 10 constitution saving throw or will take 1d4 poison damage. Once applied, the poison retains potency for one minute before drying. Adam, you have ingredients for us or suggestions for? Yeah, I was thinking about what makes up each one of these poisons because the poison should be unique. No two poisons should ever be the same. And a lot of the time it's just kind of hand waved. So I was thinking about this. The basic poison should literally just be a venom or a toxin or a poison that you get out of a I was thinking milking a snake or spider venom or something. You know what I mean. Milking a snake fangs. Milking a snake. Milking the snake. <laughs> yeah. Snakes provide milk. It's delicious. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no takers on that? Snakes do provide milk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so I, I was thinking that them, this is, it's probably like a weird, clear, like maybe green or sickly yellow color. Mm-hmm. And it probably just smells a little bit foul. Like somebody's bad breath. You know, yeah. like the morning after, yeah, a, a binge. You know what I mean, like oh, like a dog fart. Yeah, like it's not enough that you're gonna put it on the weapons and be like, ah, con save. There's nothing. You go, ugh. Yeah. Ugh, what is this? Like a medicine check of twelve is gonna be like, oh, that's poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Where do we find this, Megan? 
Uh, I feel like this is the poison you can find any fucking where. So this is the one that anytime you walk into like any grocery store, this is going to be sitting somewhere. Every it's, apothecary like, is going to have yeah. this. Like mm -hmm. any kind of magical character that knows what plant is poisonous, any hunter is going to have this on their your on their person. Basic druid and ranger. One hundred percent. So I feel like if there's going to be any poisons in your game that you don't have to do any research or back history for, this is going to be the one that you would use. But the fact that it's a hundred gold pieces means that it's still cost prohibitive at low levels. But I feel like it's one of those ones that can be harvested anywhere. As I well. would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right? A survival like, check yeah. at, on a specific kind of animal. Yeah. So I would think so. Yeah, especially if you want to encourage the use of poisons uh, in your game more, just make them more easily accessible for this basic poison. Okay, what about Ivana's Whisper? This is uh, from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Uh, this poison is inhaled. There's no price listed on it, unusually. Uh, but the poison bears a distinct scent and chemical message from Ivana Borizzi. A creature subjected to this poison makes a DC 18 constitution saving throw, or you will experience the effects of a dream spell created by Ivana the next time they sleep. The poison is non-magical, and Ivana doesn't directly communicate with those affected during the dream. Rather, she creates the illusion of speaking with her intended target by alchemically crafting her message, predicting her target's reactions, and chemically encoding in her responses. She wears this poison as a perfume or hides it within gift bouquets, allowing it to convey her message later. Ivana must be a fucking genius if she can predict what my players are going to say. That's all. <laughs> That's your genius. job as the yeah, DM. Exactly. <laughs> Well, she's one of the main NPCs, and the way that um, the Ravenloft book is set up is there's all the little domains of dread all the way through it, and each one has like one to three big bads or NPCs, and she's one of them, so this is her big fucking you power, mm -hmm. yeah. which is why there's no price listed, because I don't think it's available to the average it's, adventurer, yeah. right? Absolutely. But, I mean, it's clearly her pheromones, right? That's what this is, so like... I'm just picturing her, like, taking this bouquet of flowers and rubbing it in her pits. Be like, there we go. <laughs> Did you hear it as well? Did you? Sure. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's nasty, and it's, it's raven lofty. thought he yeah. said tits, but it's okay. Go on. Pits. I know, but... Not the under teat. teat. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Just that, just that. The so boob sweat. sweat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't know what boob sweat is. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I don't. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> heard somebody say it once and I just... <laughs> How about assassin's blood, everybody? This poison is ingested. This will run you 150 gold pieces if you want to buy it over the counter. A creature subjected to this poison must make a DC 10 constitution saving throw. On a failed save, it takes... 1d12 poison damage and is poisoned for 24 hours on a successful save the creature takes half damage and isn't poisoned adam okay so this to me is just black congealed blood of an assassin like it's it's cursed blood so it is gross and lumpy and black and kind of coagulated but not quite dry like yet. Yeah, yeah so i you you have to drink it, which means you gotta put it in. I don't know. I guess something something strong tasting that's gonna mask the smell. But I think this this needs to be stirred in. It's gross. There's like weird floaty lumpy bit. This is bubble tea of blood. Yeah. No, I feel like you would definitely find this one not in your regular shops. This would be one that you would have to find where like cursed items would would be or reside. Yeah, we say the black market somewhere or something. Yeah, yeah, like a black market or again, like it's it's blood magic in my mind. Yeah. Like it's maho. It's it's not. It's cursed. It's illegal, right? It's like I feel like in most campaigns it would be. And there are so many instances of dead man's blood being poison in fantasy. 
That's a trope, and that's what this feels like. Yeah, I like the idea of uh, illegal substances and legal poisons yeah. as well. Yeah. But no, I feel like this one would definitely be one that would, like, because you have to ingest it and you have to put in some kind of a strong beverage, I feel like if someone was to ingest this one, they would, like, start coughing and thinking that it's normal. Like, oh, such a strong whiskey that was. And yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. like, they, they, like, regurgitate some pieces of their esophagus or something. It's like, oh, yeah. that's not right. Can't hold your like, booze. Yeah. Yeah, so the Assassin's Blood and the rest from here on out uh, are all from the Dungeon Master's Guide, I'll add as well. The next one being uh, the Truth Serum. This is ingested. This will cost 150 gold pieces. A creature subjected to this poison makes a DC 11 constitution saving throw or becomes poisoned for one hour. And the poisoned creature cannot knowingly speak a lie as if under the effect of a Zone of Truth spell. I assume this tastes like like honey. Like, yeah. it's just really pleasant. If it's, if it's going to be potent... But it doesn't have, like, a negative effect. It has, I mean, look, only telling the truth is a negative fucking thing. Like, that, Jim Carrey taught us all that, right? So, <laughs> I just feel like they, they wouldn't necessarily think it's a bad thing when they ingest it. That's the that's the kicker later. Yeah. Right? Um, I feel like this one, you wouldn't really, again, I don't think this one can be found any which where. I feel like this is what's going to be at the cop shop. Yeah. Like, this is where, you, this, again, it's illegal to carry it because it messes with somebody's mind. And we've talked about this many times. Mm. Anything that messes with somebody's mind is inherently evil. Yeah. Therefore, the feel like this one is behind a locked door. Am I evil? Am I the villain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, but, why are we not breaking into jails in the evidence locker and stealing all the shit in there more often? But, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I feel like if you were to have something in your campaign where you're in jail and you're breaking out... Why are we not checking the cabinets for weird shit like this? On the way out. I also really like the idea of the Jafar character going, well, there is another way, and producing one of these vials. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a really good, like, strange starter item for your characters, or, like, for your PCs, that one of them just has one. And, like, it's Mm -hmm. like, and it's the item that you always forget that you have until you're like, oh, this might be useful. Uh, Now's the time. Yeah, I'm going to say this as well, though. It's going to piss off your players if they're holding on to secrets and the bad guy just pulls the truth out of them. Right. Either you're making them role play so everybody else around the table is mad at them for now giving up the secrets. Or you just take away their agency and give the secrets away yourself in like a cutscene as a DM, right? Yeah. Both ways are bad. So I want to introduce this in the player's hands first four or five times before I use it against them later. Yeah. So that we set a precedence and this is not me picking on a player. Yeah. yeah, or like pulling it out of them by accident when yeah. they're not ready for that action, right? Yeah. I also had a thought that this would be really funny if the bard had one of these, but they would just use it for hilarity, and then we just go into a bar and pour a bunch of people's drinks and then start a bar fight because everyone's just all of a sudden dumping out all of their oversharing bullshittery, and then yeah. everybody just starts arguing and fighting. Oh, I love the idea of him just having enough of the rogue's bullshit and fine, fuck it, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a good time, sir. Oh, dark and moody, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I just really love my mom. <laughs> Inherently evil. <laughs> and I have chlamydia. <laughs> I haven't used the truth serum yet. <laughs> Your beer was just a beer, Terry. <laughs> Okay, next up, Carrion Crawler Mucus. Uh, This is done by Contact, 200 gold pieces. This poison must be harvested from a dead or incapacitated Carrion Crawler. Uh, A creature subjected to this poison must make a DC 13 constitution saving throw or be poisoned for one minute. Uh, The poisoned creature is paralyzed. The creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. I mean, it's mucus, 
Right. It is thick. It is yellowy green. And it has got little bubbles in it that pop sometimes. I bet... I bet this is really gross because you got to smear it on somebody too. So it's like, it is sticky slimy. If you were going to apply this, you have your carrying crawler mucus gloves. Yeah. That are only for this, right? I keep them inside out until I got to put them on and then I roll them on so I don't fucking touch it. And then I smear it on people. Yeah. I'm keeping a jar of this shit around. Mm-hmm. I like it. And paralyzed is, uh, that's brutal. Yeah. I don't know. I loved the idea of this not necessarily being fit, like in a campaign, not necessarily being found in a store or where have you, but you actually have to seek out a specific necromancer that has the capability of generating this mucus. And they're the only person that can do it. And you need it to paralyze something or do some other storyline thing. And then you basically have to make them spit into a jar so that you can get it. Um, or get it else which ways, you know? Yeah. You're going to find this in a Simic hybrid lab as yeah. well, or, a, you know, a, some evil artificers maybe might have access to these weird fucking just goopy shit. Yeah. I want, I want the old Furble farm deep in the woods where they're just raising carrion crawlers. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, we got to clean up the sinuses. And, and they know that this is so brutal. They sinus just, day. Yeah. yeah. Sinus it's, sinus. Day, yeah. It's, just the, it's just Friday. But that's <laughs> <what> <laughs> it's the day of the week that everyone does, the, you know, absolutely hates to report to it. Yeah. Uh, how about drow poison? This is done by injury. 200 gold pieces. This poison is typically made only by the drow and only in a place far removed from sunlight. A creature subjected to this poison must make a DC 13 constitution saving throw or your poison for one hour. If the saving throw fails by five or more, the creature is also unconscious while poisoned in this way. The creature wakes up if it takes damage or if another creature takes an action to shake it awake. So it's under dark theme. It's drow theme. The thing I think about with this more than anything else, it should be so obsidian dark that it looks like shadow. Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever you coat, like it's almost thin, like it's a it's a slight film, but you dip an arrowhead or a dagger in it, and it looks like it's permanently in shadow until you use the poison up, and that's going to make it a lot different than some of the other drippy poisons or the goopy poisons. Something very slight and subtle. That's really drow like to me. Yeah, and at the same point, it's it's done by injury, which I love. Is how like you can only be poisoned by this by an injury. Like yeah. I think that that's hilarious. Um, but I, don't, I really like the idea of these weird, like, sleep potions. And again, because we're talking about, like, the Underdark and Drow, I feel like this one, if someone was to fall unconscious, I would want this one to be one that induces dreams or hallucinations while they're asleep. Mm-hmm. I think that and, fits. And dreams and hallucinations of spiders, specifically, because it's Drow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Serpent Venom. This is, uh, injected by Injury. And uh, 200 gold pieces. This poison must be harvested from a dead or incapacitated giant poisonous snake. A creature subjected to this poison makes a DC 11 constitution saving throw, taking 3d6 poison damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. It is specifically not snake venom. It is serpent venom. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just them using creative wording to say that they have milked a yuan tea. <laughs> yeah. Right. right? Like, I mean, it, it's not just merely snake or they would just call it snake venom. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you got to capture some abomination or malison or anathema even like one of the big scary fuck off you on tea and you got to get their point kill them and then like cut their mouths open and get the little venom sacks behind their fangs yeah i like imagine like i imagined if they would just travel around and they would like a you on tea would just have them on their person constantly like little vials of this poison because they have to milk themselves shall we say nobody um, look nobody look <laughs> i'm extracting the poison yeah <laughs> 
don't look at me, don't look at me. But I feel like, again, this one would be one that would be very common to find. So this one I feel like you could find in a store. You could find it in, like, uh, your marketplace or one of those ones. It's a stronger poison to utilize and use. So instead of just being your basic poison you're finding on the shelf, this is the more expensive one down on the higher tier shelf. This is your top tier poison that you can find somewhere. Yeah, and honestly, I think that this is going to be super foul as well. It's injury, not ingest or inhale. So yeah. when it's when it is injury or contact, you can get grosser with it because you're not relying on somebody not noticing it. It's an arrow or a dagger that hits you. You're not in control. Instead of you for ingesting, you're lifting the cup to your face. You'll notice that nasty smell. Yeah. Right. Or you're just bitten. Like, yeah. just ripped to shreds, right? From Malice, the next one. This one is inhaled, 250 gold pieces. This is a DC 15 constitution saving throw, or you become poisoned for one hour. But the poisoned creature is blinded. This to me is white. Mm-hmm. It's a white poison, just because, like, white milky eyes. So you drink this and your eyes go white and milky, so you're blinded. Yeah. Right? Like, it is magical, so I kind of wanted to, to feel that. Almost like the liquid is in your system and it coats your eyes from your tear ducts when you're blinking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because they mentioned that it was inhaled, I imagine this is what you would put in your pocket sand. So you would yeah. just, like, just into someone's face and then it just, you breathe it in. Poisoned pocket sand. Poisoned pocket sand. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's how I imagine it. And then kind of the same thing, like something would happen to your eyes, like, you know, when Homer Simpson's eyes crust over. Yeah. Because he gets, like, laser eye surgery. Like, yeah. I feel like something would oh, just yeah, I remember that. physically happen to your eyelids or they're permanently closed or what have you, and you're just, like, seeping just gross pus from your eyeballs. Okay, so just because we're talking about inhaling things and whatnot. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> you're really eager for that. Um, I'm thinking about Tritons and Lokatha and, and whatnot. Could you take a handful of this stuff and smear it across their gills? I, I, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Instead of just, like, the powder they have to inhale. Like, no, you... Like, it's goop, and they smear it on the gills. So they, like, they, they're sitting there holding their breath, and their gills are like, oh, God, oh, God, I can't breathe. I can't... Somebody get that off me right now. And I'm blind. Oh. Yeah. And it's happened. There it is. I love it. Yeah. Our pale tincture is next. Ingested. 250 gold pieces. So this is going to be a DC 16 constitution saving throw. Or 1d6 poison damage and become poisoned. The poisoned creature must repeat the saving throw every 24 hours, taking 1d6 poison damage on a failed save. Until the poison ends, the damage the poison deals cannot be healed by any means. After 7 successful saving throws, the effect ends and the creature can heal normally. That's fucking diabolical. Yep. I love it. That is deadly for tier 1 party members. Yep. I fucking love it. That is just it's it's great. And it's it's pale, but I want it to be sickly gross. I want it to be like like white almost uh like ointment-ish, but like a very thin kind of ointment, but it's got little streaks of red, like yeah. like blood in it as well. So like it's got to be pinkish white and sickly looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I I kind of thought that it would look like a, a salve. Or something that you would rub on, like rub on someone's wounds to pretend that you're healing them, but you're not. Yeah, but you had to ingest it too, so like. But like, so an open wound. I think I feel like that counts as ingesting. If you no, so ingest. But in the same way, you know, you can like pour a uh, healing potion down someone's neck so, when yeah. they're unconscious or something. Just yeah. get this down there. Or like, neck. put it on their food and feed it to them or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I just feel like it does have to look like a healing. I just again, I, I feel like this is an evil campaign kind of. 
poison to utilize and use and it would be something that you force ingest someone either whether they're knowing or unknowing um because to be honest with you i've i've killed people in parties before with much less tact than this like <laughs> yeah. this just feels like a very tactful in D D in D D. yeah and l5r um but I, I do feel like this is one where you can inherently poison someone without your group knowing because mm. it'll look like you're healing them. But it's just like the poison's taking effect. There's nothing I can do. This is a great NPC betrays you moment. Yes. Oh, okay, Adam, DM ruling on this. If So it says the damage from this poison can't be healed. So does that mean that if I take them to zero hit points or, or under with this damage, or if they're, say, unconscious and then I pour it down their throat, does that mean that they can't... I can't uh, pop them back up again. No, it essentially means that you have lowered their maximum hit points, right? For for a temporary amount of time, okay. right? So uh, if it drops them below, you can heal up in theory the other hit points they've already lost, right? right? So they can get back above zero. Okay. Next one: Essence of Ether inhaled, three hundred gold pieces. It's going to be a DC fifteen Constitution saving throw, or become poisoned for eight hours. The poisoned creature is unconscious. The creature wakes up if it takes damage, or another creature uses its action to shake it awake. I mean, this is this is just chloroform, right? Do you yeah. get quality sleep from it, though? No, this is not a long rest. Absolutely not. I wouldn't even give you short rest on this. Okay. This is just. I mean, it's it's inhaled again. This is to me is just like weird pick your color level of powder that's sitting on the bouquet of flowers it's handed to you or you know you mix it into the hot coffee that you serve to everybody when they walk in yeah. and they inhale the fumes i like this one i like the idea of dissolving it into oh you know what this is cool for this is a defense mechanism for monks at the monastery they light the candles and then leave the room and then the enemies bust in Take a whiff and they all go down. I love it. I literally read Essence of Ether and thought in my head like like um um uh, what are they called um, infused like infusers like yeah. those things that you can get that like diffuse diffusers that's the word yeah yeah um, those infusers but the ones that diffuse the infusers that diffuse but this is one that like again you, they would be in a room and then not necessarily light a candle or like or like it, it, yeah I just think that it's really thematic that way when you have a lull in conversation then everyone hears it just go. Like that in the corner. <laughs> hate those things. But it just because it's called Essence of Ether, I felt like it just felt very life-like. Or I also right. thought it would be very interesting to use it as like, this is like your, you think it's heroin or a drug or you have like, and it's not yeah. that. No, it, it is not. You, yeah. are, you just get fucked up without the fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oil of Taggart? I'll, I'll, yes. Sure. Tajit. <laughs> Tajit? <laughs> I love Tajit. Uh, contact. It's 400 gold pieces. We're looking at a DC 13 constitution saving throw or become poisoned for 24 hours. The poison creature is unconscious and it will wake up if it takes damage, but says nothing of uh, somebody using an action to shake them awake. You know, this is just, this is just you're out, right? For 24 hours. Um, and it's by contact. So this is powerful. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is, there's no context for what this is. Where do you get it or what the details are? Like, at least with Serpent Venom we're getting, or Assassin's Blood, there's a little flavor to it. Who's Tagit? Tajit? Who is Tajit? Who is Tajit? I I tried to look it up to see if there was some kind of a historical, like, purpose for this or how it was made or where it comes from. Is this a person? Yeah. But I feel like that bodes the idea where you can get creative to where these come from. They might be, again, one specific person that can make this, so you seek it out. 
or you as a character just have a, like a little like a jar of this on you because your past like teacher gave you a little jar of it saying use sparingly. I also want to point out that this is specifically an oil compared to the others, which means if you uh, get this on your skin, you fail your 13 con save, down you go for 24 hours. If the whole party does this and somebody walks by with a torch, that oil's going to light, right? You're just going to light on fire, that's it. That's fun. How that's fun. That how fun, fun for everyone. Yeah. Fun. And this is how we relax. <laughs> Blow off steam, so to speak. Uh, burned author fumes. Inhaled. 500 gold pieces. This is a DC 13 constitution saving throw or it's 3d6 poison damage. Uh, and you must repeat that saving throw at the start of each turn. On a successful save, you're going to take half damage. So one, D no, sorry. On a successful save, you take one d6 poison damage as opposed to the three d6 poison damage. Uh, and after three successful saves, the poison ends. Why is this more expensive than the one that daily is dropping your fucking? You need seven in a row. Right. Like I, I, this will kill you faster, sure, I guess. But I don't know. Like again, this is cool and it's inhaled. Like this is. I'm mixing this into candles and and essential oils, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I want there to be a a factor where, uh, you know what, here's the puzzle. Find the smell that most, and there's like seven objects in here, one of them is clearly booby-trapped with one of these poisons. Yeah, I wrote this one as being like someone's layer trap system, where it just like, as you're going in or entering, like, you suddenly breathe something in. Yeah. And then one of you is given a clue or knows something about poisons. So it's like, oh my shit, we have a very small amount of time before all of us drop dead. So we either need to decide to keep going in here, or we need to get the fuck out and figure out what to do. Like, I, like the green dragon's lair. And when whenever it turns into a human, which, thanks to Fizban, it can now. Yeah. So when it turns into a human, it actually is a Snape. It's a potions master. Right? And so it's brewing these things. Then So all of the traps, all of the traps are poison traps. Mm -hmm. Right? I like, not necessarily for this one, but I think we need some sort of delayed effect on these poisons. Because players are stupid. I know because I am one. Like, <laughs> if you, and especially when there's like a strong scent associated with it, it's inhaled and it's like you describe the smell as the DM. What is it? Will you check? Oh, you have no idea what it is. Let me have a go. I'll go in. I'll have a smell. Let me try I it. too shall roll perception. <laughs> And now you're all out. Uh, torpor. Torpor? Torpor. Torpor. <laughs> what do you call it? Just keep saying it different ways. Torpor. Torpor. It's ingested. It's 600 gold pieces. It's going to be a DC 15 constitution saving throw or become poisoned for 4d6 hours and the poisoned creature is incapacitated. This is the shit I'm looking for in D&D. None of this try the save again at the end of your fucking turn. And No, none of that. You fucking took it. It's going to hurt. 46 hours with disadvantage on shit, right? That's just, that's rough. It's not horrible, but it's rough and incapacitated. Mm -hmm. You are getting dragged around. And you're not totally useless. You're not paralyzed, but, but I mean, you're out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This one would definitely only be, in my mind, in the hands of either the big, big bad or the big, big bad's, like, cult. Mm -hmm. Where this is their one, oh, crap, we're not going to win this fight. Here we go. But then if your party ends up fighting on the, taking on this cult or taking on this big, big bad, at the end, they might get one. This is also something that I'm going to use to, when they split the party and I want to punish them for it without killing someone, right? Or, Fair enough, yeah. Or I want to create a mystery so I... Um, I incapacitate one of the NPCs. Yeah. yeah. Right? So the NPC gets split from the party and then they discover them lying on the ground incapacitated. You're like, ah, ah, 
for 46 hours. Just right? making mouth noises. Yeah. Next one is Wyvern Poison. So through injury, 1,200 gold pieces. This is going to be a DC 15 constitution saving throw or 76 poison damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. So it says right in it that it has to be harvested from a dead or incapacitated wyvern. Right. Um, I'm upset. Everyone always asks wyvern, but never howvern. Oh, dear. Stop it. No, okay. So, um, <laughs> Wenvern. <laughs> um, I I really like, the again, the idea of the farm of wyverns, right? Or this is a pet that somebody... This is a hag's pet. Today, yeah. Yeah. Right? And they are sitting there just going out and harvesting this... this Fucking wyvern poison. And the 76 is what the tail damage does in poison damage. Yeah. Like that is straight up off of the, the monster manual. Take this bucket, go milk Willy. Yeah. <laughs> Willy the wyvern? Yeah. That, that That's his name, is it? Yeah. All right, then. Uh, I feel like it would be an is amazing... Is Oh. No. <laughs> just stop. Ever since the accident. <laughs> Little leather. Where it was resting on an intake tank for... <laughs> 45 minutes personally attacked um but no i feel like this one would be one where it it would be a challenge to get one um and if you have one you're a very special person because not everyone's gonna be able to afford to just walk up and buy one of these Mm -hmm. so again if you were to go and buy one of these in one of those potion shops it's gonna be those really high-end ones where it's top shelf behind a locked door i'm not even sure you're gonna start to like the moment it's more than 400 gold pieces you have to go to the assassin's guild yeah. To get it, you're not getting this on the street corner necessarily or out of a poster shop or come back after close. Or yeah. they're going to yeah. lie to you about it and say this is absolute wyvern poison, but yeah. really it's just like a 1d4 regular poison. <laughs> it's Drake poison, like nobody cares. But really so. it's oregano. <laughs> they're going to sneeze for a day and it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Midnight Tears, it's ingested. It's 1,500 gold pieces, so a creature that ingests this poison suffers no effect until the stroke of midnight. There you go with your delay. Yes, there we go. If the poison has not been neutralized before, then the creature must succeed on a DC 17 constitution saving throw. We're looking at 96 poison damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. For 1,500 gold pieces, I expect to do more than an average of 31 fucking damage. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a lot, but it's it's not a lot, right? Like, honestly, there are some third or fourth level spells that are doing this regularly um, without that that kind of uh, price attached to it. Um, but I do like the fact that it's ingested and it does specifically say tears. So I like the idea of, of milking the tear ducts of like a night walker mm-hmm. or something to get to some big, bad, scary, otherworldly. Oh, maybe one of the sorrow sworn. Mm-hmm. You got to go milk their tear ducts out. Like you behead it and then you just dig your thumbs into the spot just under their eyes and push the tears out. Out mm-hmm. of their tear out, ducts? Out of the lost or the lonely or the wretched, whichever one of the sorrow sworn you found. Right? Yeah. I felt I, I was thinking these could only be harvested by a certain type of warlock as well is kind of what I thought. Yeah. And all I could think of in my head was in the labyrinth when David Bowie like has the clock behind him and he turns it and says, yeah. you have this amount of time. And, like, don't even tell them what it's for. They're just, like, they had dinner or something at this warlock's palace or what have you. And then all of a sudden you see him turn the clock. And then everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> uh, a, a poison with a magical countdown. Like, the person, there you go, the person that ingests this by accident 
even if the warlock isn't there, they they know there's you know there's seven hours till midnight. So they hear immediately, or the next time that the hour goes by, seven dings of like a, a grandfather clock. Yeah. yeah. And the next one there's six chimes. And the next one there's five. So this is a countdown, and nobody fucking knows why, and only one person can hear it. Yeah. And then at, at midnight, whoa, shit, down they go, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. I love it. Last one, purple worm poison. It's coming from injury. 2,000 gold pieces. Uh, this poison must be harvested from a dead or incapacitated purple worm. A creature subjected to this poison is going to need to uh, succeed on a DC 19 constitution saving throw, or they will take 12 D6 poison damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. 2,000 gold pieces, and the last one was 1,500. Fuck those D6s, make them D10s. Yeah. Come on. Like, yeah. Let's, let's get serious with this shit. For a purple worm as well, if you've got to kill a purple worm to get it, yeah. Like, you need more damage anyway. Right, 42 is nothing. And a DC 19 con save, you're in tier 4 anyway. Whatever you're trying to poison, whoever you're going after is shrugging that shit off. Yeah. Right? So, um, they're probably immune to poison anyway. This is why poison lets it down, especially at high levels. Um, I think this is neat. Clearly, the poison is purple. <laughs> I, I don't know where else to go with this one. It is purple. Worm poison. <laughs> yeah. How I imagine it affecting the body, though, is that after you've been, in, like, because it's um, done by injury. So um, I feel like if you were bitten or, like, stabbed with something that had this poison on it, from that wound, you would start to see, like, worm, like, almost like you have worms going through your skin. Right. You just start getting welts along where all your veins are and stuff like that. Like, your veins start to swell so that you start looking like oh, you have yeah. all these worms crawling. M- maybe they call it the worms. Like, they just say he's got the worms like, yeah. because they see the veins or it whatever. It becomes, like, a a weird chronic illness or something like that I think would be a really cool thing that they have to figure out and solve or you just now have that permanent wound that there's an area of your body that has that and now you know that you've been like tainted or hurt by this purple worm or what have you there we go yeah. finally someone said taint this taint. episode there taint. we go taint, um, taint and purple worm in the same yeah. sentence that's what I'm here for uh, so I've got to say that there's not a whole lot about the application of how to do a lot of this shit um, except when you go back to the player's handbook where it says the basic poison right that's in there uh applying the poison takes an action once applied once applied the poison retains potency for one minute before drying i think unless you're applying it to tea or making it into a candle or something else if you're coating a weapon for injury purposes follow those rules yeah and if you were a dm handing this out where it's got to be inhaled ingested contact or whatever else be clear about how long it takes to apply and how long it is effective for, mm-hmm. right? Let the players, if they're in control of it, let them know. Don't just have them say, okay, I'm going to use the poison. How does that work? And you're sitting there going, uh, well, uh, uh, and yeah. you're making it up on the spot. Then you're going to say, it takes a, uh, lasts a week. Well, fuck, now you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? They're coating everything that they got with this. Yeah, exactly. So, do you guys want to roll dice one more time? Sure. sure. Grab that one. Terry, don't throw it at the damn thing this time. Fifteen. Twenty again. Fuck off. A three. I knocked you back into a fifteen, though. So, uh, Megan. Yeah. Which one is your favorite poison and why? I like the drow poison. Yeah. And I think just because I'm a dark, sinister person. Clearly. I feel, I feel yes. like this is a poison that I would make. Yeah. Um, it just seems very thematic, very well thought out. The fact that it's a drow poison, it has to be removed from sunlight there or, or it goes stale or what have you. Word. Right? Like, I just feel like it's very neat. 
And the fact that like you, ha it has like almost like a, it's because what was it? If you fails by five or more, that's when the creature is also unconscious while poisoned this way. So it's almost like there's a, a give or take of how badly this will affect you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I like malice uh, because like as a sociopath, <laughs> I, I really feel that I connect well with this one. Uh, because I want to blind you because fuck you mostly because nobody expects to be blinded and deal with this now motherfucker you can't uh, you know I feel that, that that's fair I feel that players are doing uh, players are like uh, they handle things really well when they've got their full spells and they haven't lost their weapons yet and they can see and it's 19 degrees and slightly cloudy and an open field as soon as you take something like you just as simple as you blind them they're fucked and they panic and they fight amongst each other and uh, and I like that. So oh, you should have seen. See, Terry, you would appreciated the uh, last session that we ran because we started off that session with the party fucking hurting after going toe to toe with uh, Baba Lysaga. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And her creeping hut, mind you, they're level four. Yeah. And both of those things are CR eleven or twelve. Somewhere yeah. On there, I, she's and, a great NPC, Baba Lysaga. And yep. then Strahd showed up, and so then these guys limped their asses. From that into a zombie horde with an undead necromancer that turned into a flame skull. I died. Yeah. Nice. My character full on died. <laughs> and, and and so did Dave's. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like who cares, right? But uh yeah, it was uh two characters face down in the fucking dirt. Nice. Because we showed up with everybody going, How many hit points do you have? Oh, less than a quarter? Well shit. The first yeah. fight was also my fault. Oh, yeah. was it? I yeah. said, I'm sorry. You want to challenge me? Fuck that. Chris yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. Exactly. Don't attack the characters. Attack the players. Um, if you were to make a poison from scratch to be used in tier two, what's one thing that you would do? I would want to build something similar to like an arsenic. So like something that could slowly poison someone. But it is it, you ha it is required that you have to continually give them a dose over a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And that be something that will be un- uh, like you can't detect it they won't feel it but eventually they will lose all of their hit points like they will start randomly losing like their their top hit point or like their actual main hit point over certain periods of time and then eventually they will have to figure out that it's the food that this person is feeding them oh, that's yeah. poisoning them because um, it'll be like they'll wake up in the morning and then the dm will just be like oh well you take another five hit points off the top yeah and then you become suspicious of everybody in your party. And it's just like this one person who's just slightly poisoning you with this. Yeah. And your food. Like it's the one person who's always insistent they make breakfast. Mm. Yeah. Right? I love it. Right. But it, does, but it doesn't hit you until you wake up the next day. Yeah. It's right like now. a 24 hours. All of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh, I feel like slightly weaker today. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I would, I'm not sure on the effect. Maybe something really sinister like gives them fucking ALS or something like that. Jesus, that's too much. <laughs> oh that's too God. much. That got real. No, no, no. You said sociopath. We we don't kink shame. Today. That's too. Much. Yeah, that's my kink okay, shame. Now, is now giving now people like ALS. <laughs> fucking right. That's <laughs> my line. <laughs> exactly. Pornhub is suggesting that I maybe search something else to be going. Surely you meant ass porn, not ALS porn. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I like the I like the delayed effect. But I would do it uh, from something that the player loves and they don't want to get rid of. It kind of like smoking in a way. Like you know what it's doing to you, but how long are you going to hold on? Mm -hmm. So yeah. something like that. Uh, okay, so I got one that's a really scary tier two thing, and it could be scary at any tier because I'm not relying on hit points for this. Um, it's by contact, 
Uh, however, if you touch anyone else, it's by contact. So mm. you are patient zero on this. <gasps> okay. And wait for it. It's not hit points. It is one off your con every day at dawn. Until you fucking uh, beat enough saves. I like that the pale tincture, the seven successful saves. Yeah. So you were just trying to shake this. Some people don't, and some people do. It's like tuberculosis. Some people just got better. Most people didn't. Yeah, unless you seek medical attention, then you get advantage on your roll the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that'll make them fight. That'll make them fight. That, yeah, that'll scare the shit out of your players. Uh, everybody's con drops by one. Incidentally, that affects your max hit points. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, everybody's trying to buy hand sanitizer. Because <laughs> they're hitting up every bar in town trying to find their hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, so I think uh, that's all for this discussion on weapons, damage, and poison for now. Please make sure you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be setting aside the crunchy parts of character creation and focusing instead on some of the creativity. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some totally bodacious merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, so I have a couple of additional thoughts before we, we wrap this episode up. So the moment an item has a plus one or other modifier, it becomes a magical weapon, and that gets around a lot of the bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing resistances and immunities. As a DM, how early in a campaign do you hand out magic items like this? Level five. Level five? Yeah. Terry? Uh, I, early, I, I start to dot them in, not necessarily make them, uh, like, give them to the players, but the, the enemies will have them, and hey, if you guys do a great job, you get it, then you get it. Uh, you can steal it from them. Uh, because I don't like the bludgeoning, slashing, piercing resistances on monsters anyway. Fuck you, everybody bleeds. Uh, so I don't mind dropping them in early. <laughs> yeah, I aim for five or six, and I give it to one at a time. Yeah. Spellcasters get that shit last. Um, in order to kill a lycanthrope, you need to do magic damage or use a silvered weapon. You need to find a silversmith to add silver to a weapon. This is usually expensive and takes time, and a lot of people allow the players to just use a blacksmith or a jeweler or even an artificer or random dwarf instead. Do you like that, or does it have to be a silversmith? No, I think metal is metal. I feel like if you are skilled and have the ability to metal work, then I don't see why you should not be able to. Yeah, a blacksmith might be like, look, this isn't my day-to-day thing. It's probably not going to look pretty, but do you want it on there or not? Yeah, it's like, because it doesn't have to be gorgeous, to your point. It doesn't be like an amazing filigree dagger. It's just like, just fucking put a silver tip on my broadsword. Thanks, my guy. Just fucking lash a silver steak knife on the end of my spear or something. You have a knife? I'm just going to use this knife. (laughs) Fair one, yeah. In previous editions, there was a condition you could apply to a weapon called Keen. This allowed you to double the critical range on a weapon, so suddenly your ancestral sword can crit on a 19 or 20. If you were already at a 19 or 20, it would now crit on a 17 to 20. Mm -hmm. It's still non-magical, but it gets to crit more often. Would you like to see this in 5th edition? Um, no, I think it becomes, when things become too powerful like this, it becomes too distracting. Uh, you see a lot of the same stuff. Everybody's aiming to get the same thing. It gets repetitive. Um, no, 
I don't like it. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. I think there's enough feats out there that help adjust critical damage. Plus, I feel like in 5th edition, you're so fucking powerful. Yeah. I yeah. really don't think it matters to have this little extra. It's not needed. Is it? Yeah, just it's not needed. Okay, I did some math. Falling does 1d6 bludgeoning damage for every 10 feet of uh, character falls to a maximum of 20d6. That's an average of 70 damage. How do you feel about that? You can fall out of a fucking... Off the moon. And you will take an average of 70 damage. Yeah. Is this supposed to reflect, like, terminal velocity, I guess? Yeah. So, uh... No. I don't like it. If you fell off the moon, I would... you. I just feel like you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, if the dragon barrel rolls and off you go at 500 feet... It doesn't matter. You're only taking what you would take out 200 feet. Yeah, if I got seismic tossed by, like, a dragon into the ground, I feel like that's an automatic, you are on death saves. <laughs> like, yeah. So, no, I, I don't feel, I don't agree that the math is just capped. I feel like you can just go. Uh, I, the reason I don't like it is because I feel like it's not about just hitting this way. It's about the fact that you're, everything else keeps going. Yeah. So, it, it's, yeah, yeah you're, you're fucked. Yeah, you're, you're, fucked. you're blowing up, yeah. Yeah, it, it's not the fact that my breastplate hits at terminal velocity. It's the fact that my lungs are hitting my ribs at ter terminal velocity. My ankles yeah. are going down my throat. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you apply that 1d6 bludgeoning damage then for every 10 feet a character gets flung horizontally? Like what, by a kraken or a hurricane or something? I think so. I think I really just said seismic tossed by a dragon. Yeah. That can go in any direction. Yeah. Right. I 100% I believe it. But yeah. Yes. That, that's for me because when you reverse gravity with the spell and everybody flies the fuck up to the ceiling, that's the D6 per 10 feet for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Terry, do you? you oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I would do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. My last question is the player's handbook says when damage reduces you to zero hit points and there is damage remaining... You die if the remaining damage equals or exceeds your hit point maximum. Are there any other scenarios where you just bypass death saves and make a character succumb to death? Drowning. Assassinations. Like in your bed. Or where you in did to sleep. me. Yeah. 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 Uh, lava. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you fall in the lava. We're not death saves. Like, you're, you're done. I like how you said lava and not fire because my character survived being thrown into a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you died in a fire one time, if I remember correctly. Did I die in a fire one yeah, time? Yeah, you guys were on the burning roof. Everyone was fighting You demons. came up to save my character but also fell unconscious in the fire with me and then we got rescued by somebody Oh, that's else. right. I did come to save your character. <laughs> that's right. How dare you. <laughs> the, the one altruistic moment that Gary's ever had. Exactly. And you needed to be fucking reminded. Exactly. Of it. <laughs> I can't. Never helping anybody else again. Exactly. Ah, cure wounds. Oh, thank God. <laughs> On yourself. Uh, classic. What's the worst injury you've ever had? Oh, don't tempt the world like this. The worst injury I ever had. Okay, so I have only ever broken one bone. Okay. Really? Yeah, yeah, and it was it was my you know the bone right beside your your pinky toe. Like the other toe, the, the ring, yeah. Like your ring finger toe. Your ring toe, <laughs> your, your ring toe I guess. Ring toe? Yeah. yeah that's, Some people wear rings there. That does it. I dropped, I literally dropped a piano on it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, my worst injury? Yeah. I've never, I've never broken a bone. Okay. Ever. Not that I, I thought maybe once I broke a toe, like I've never found out that I broke a bone, I should say. The only thing that Terry's ever broken is hearts. Oh. I mean. <laughs> 
Yeah. But, <laughs> but, yeah. But, that got you what real. the fuck out of here? <laughs> Uh, oh my god! I don't know. Probably this shoulder is like a reoccurring thing now. So okay. I blew that out pretty Does bad. Does it like hurt it's... when it gets cold outside? Oh, I just I fucked it up ten years ago and then never fixed it. Gooned through it, it never worked properly again. Then I fucked it again. Oh. It's, it's been like a long term injury. Bullshit. I know. So I mean, I'm pretty fortunate, really. So I won't complain. So I don't tempt the universe or anything. Fair enough. Uh, mine actually was recent and it was, uh, I went on a date, which was a bad idea. Like how this is now coming up again. Wait, and you were uh, injured on this date? I was. So this we is went, one of my favorite stories. So we went go-karting. Yeah. Um, right. and, uh, I went, it was like, we were doing two rounds of go-karts. It's like 14 laps. So it's like 20 minutes per race. Um, I sat in my car and I realized it was feeling very warm on my hip, but I didn't think anything of it. Did the first race and I was like, yeah, it's really fucking hurting. But I was thinking it was from like banging up against the side of it when you're doing your hard turns. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever. Did the second race and then got out and then realized, no, the intake tank where they normally have a heating pad on. So yeah, yeah. not touching it. I was sitting on an intake tank for over 20 to 40 minutes. So it like melted it, everything? Pretty or? much, yeah. So I ended up with a third degree burn on my hip. No. This was only like four months ago. So it's like, it's like right on my hip. And so, and then, yeah, I had to get it, like, grafted, I had to get it, like, fixed up, all that bullshittery, and it now, the scarring, it looks like a peep. Like, like the little marshmallow like peeps? Like the marshmallow peeps. Well, that's a, just a net win for everybody. Yeah, first... I didn't know what you meant, and I honestly thought you meant penis when you said it looks like a peep. That was like, Cockburn. <laughs> Megan Cockburn. Yeah. Well, I didn't know any of this. This is why I don't go on dates anymore. <laughs> oh, is that why? So did they did they uh, did they take you to the hospital and stuff? Uh, I didn't go to the hospital until a couple days later because I'm an asshole and I thought that oh, it was sure. pretty fine. Understandable. Yeah, you were yeah. so, we had uh, like lunch the next day yeah. actually. And you were so nonchalant about it. Yeah, it was fine. Until you stood up and you're like, ah, ah, this is not ah, a great yeah. feeling. And then the next day I, spoke, I, sp- I got a fever because it was basically infected because I never actually got it properly taken care of. Megan, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> like, no. I didn't know that. I, I never heard that. have a high tolerance that. for pain. Well, they say women do have a much higher pain tolerance. It's and true. I've seen examples of this in my life. So. Well, there's another one for yeah. you. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Do you guys want a beer? Sure. I would love a beer. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Throw down. Yeah. So, Megan, what else is going on? <laughs> Everyone's favorite question. What else is happening in life? Yeah, what's happening? Uh, I don't know. Like, hold, not a whole hell of a lot, really. I know. It's I, the worst question I ever. I mostly just it? work. Yeah. I work. I record D&D podcasts. Mm-hmm. I play D&D. Yeah. Then at the weekend, you're too tired to do anything, but then you walk around with the guilt thinking you should do something because it's night out, nice outside. Then it gets to 2 p.m. on a Sunday, and then you're sad. Really enough, I hate the sun. Okay, really? Yeah. So, it's been sunny. Like, these days of sun that we have had, I've yeah. been indoors, not really? being outside. I put on shorts for the first time the other day, and I was like, these legs have not seen the light of day in three years. Yeah. I don't even know how to feel <laughs> about looking at my legs. I have to, like, force myself to go outside, because I feel like, I don't want to get, if I get to the end of the weekend and I didn't go outside, I get this, like, uh... This I did something wrong feeling? feeling? Yeah, thanks, Adam. I get this uh, feeling a lot. I thought there was like a technique, like a weird Canadian beer opening technique that I didn't know how to do and I was fucking terrified. Fucking terrified. Um, yeah, I get this a lot because I can't, and like throwing balls, it's a very North American thing to do, to grow up learning how to throw a ball. Nobody oh. knew. Yeah, but nobody knows how to kick one. That's a good point. Um, 
Um, well, I mean, the soccer teams are pretty good now, I guess. I was going to say, like, I was never late. And I was like, no, I did play sports, so yes, I do know how to throw a ball, actually. Yeah. Like, oh, sports are really bad. Like, even cricket, like bowling a ball. Like, mm. There's no ball throwing. It's, uh, anyway. You know, throw the ball in cricket? I've never played cricket. What's cricket? You you bowl it, like, over. And you have to run and then do a little skip and a jump. It When you see someone <laughs> do it, when you see someone do it, it looks like a joke. Okay. But, it's but, but they put their whole body weight behind it and whip that fucking thing. Like, okay. It's deadly, too. And they're not, like... It's hard, as well. Yeah, they're, they're like, croquet balls, not, like, baseballs. Like, yeah. that hits you and fucking bruises deep. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I started watching cricket about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same game still going? It goes yeah, for five yeah. days. It, well, it, it lasted about 35 minutes before I said, no. No. I'm not getting any more out of this. No. Yeah. Fair enough. Thanks for listening. Bye.